Well, hello, and welcome to episode 385 of the Plane, Taking, uh, Plane Talking UK podcast. My name's Neville Bounds, and welcome to the show. Uh, in this week's show, BA have canned their short-haul operations out of London Gatwick until further notice. Boeing reportedly investigating empty tequila bottles found on a future Air Force One, and a wrong turn took students' PA-28 into an approach path of a Boeing 737. Joining me this week uh, is my good chum, Matt Smith, who's back in the uh, control room. We'll also be talking uh, to Johnny Palmer of Pitch Air, which is what we were uh, previewing a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Armando is going to be talking to Mark Loper, who's an aviation photographer, and we'll have another part of Nick Codling's uh, interview with Elliot Sigwin. So uh, really looking forward to that. And Matt, great to have you back in fact i'm pleased to be back as well at least i've got a voice i know now. absolutely we, so we can hear something. you and everything now yes absolutely yes poor nev blessing wasn't very well last week at all he was planning to be on the show uh and then um yes the old uh the old voice box was uh, a bit behind itself wasn't it we couldn't quite faulty uh, is faulty the is the word looking for yeah absolutely Gosh. all gone all gone horribly wrong <laughs> but uh, uh yeah of course in in these sort of covid times everyone's on edge a little bit oh i've got a runny nose i've got a sore throat yeah actually you can still have a cold you know and a bit of uh, sore throat and cough which is what i had but uh, well of course we've so, we sort of forgotten that haven't we it's like i mean i had yeah. a couple of days i think early part of the week especially um especially coming i mean i think I, I, it was just because i was tired it was you know it was basically that but you, every time you're feeling a little bit under the weather the first thing you're doing is thinking oh i've got covid that's what <laughs> you know? yes. but, uh, i guess that's the the nature of the beast for the moment isn't it while we're while we're all still getting used to it, whatever the new thing, norm is yeah yeah absolutely uh now armando uh is not here this week sadly but he has actually um put in a, a sick note as we call he it he has yes and uh, uh recorded his apologies and matt's going to play that out now hey guys hey everybody in the chat room um sorry i can't be on the show today i'm actually doing a nice trip between uh, charleston south carolina up to tennessee then over to danville virginia and then down to Asheville, north carolina Really nice uh, trip on uh, on a weekday. I uh, just wanted to give you a quick update from the Reno Air Races. You're going to hear it in the interview with Mark Loper, who is an aviation photographer. He's the first in our series of interviews from Reno. But by all accounts, it was a tremendous success. The stands were full. Uh, their pits were full of aircraft. Lots of unlimited show up, showed up, which is just uh, amazing considering the cost that goes into participating in the races but class by class the uh, the formula ones had a really nice race they had one mayday which was pretty impressive a canopy that that flew off in flight that pilot was able to get it back down on the ground no problem biplanes all around safe racing really good racing uh, nice and close the uh, sport class uh, again just a really nice racing these guys in the, the guys and, and gals in the in the sport class in amateur built airplanes are hitting upwards of 420 miles per hour, as we've talked about on the show. And congratulations to Vicki Benzing, who won the silver race. She's been after that for a long, long time. And uh, she did that in a Lancer Legacy. That's Lucky Girl Racing. The uh, There was no real major maydays in the sport class. I think the only one that had real troubles was Kevin Eldridge and his NXT. Look that airplane up, the NXT, because it's an awesome airplane. But he was just plagued with engine troubles the whole 
the whole week and uh, there was a couple other people that blew up some engines but everybody got back down on the ground with no problems whatsoever jet class was rather uneventful racing everybody got through it no problem with no major maydays and then the the best part was unlimited oh, t6s sorry the t6s were were real close racing as they always do they're kind of slow but they're super loud and fun to watch they always put on a good show and then the unlimiteds without uh, striga and voodoo which are heavily modified p51s that allowed other p51s to come in and, and be competitive in this year so it was actually awesome to see so many polished silver p51s flying in formation and racing around the course together unfortunately it was dreadnought not a p51 that 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 won the unlimited gold race really good race uh, miss america uh, was a P51 that came in second there. So the races were, were great. The stands were full, like I said, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the coverage here from uh, NBC Sports or uh, Fox Sports, whoever covers it. And uh, we're gonna do some great interviews. So uh, that one's under wraps, and now we're gonna press forward and look forward to some other air shows in the meantime while we uh, get ready for Pylon Racing School in June of 2022, which was right around the corner. Again, uh, enjoy these uh, these interviews that we're going to do. Sorry we can't be in the show, but uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. He always has such great excuses, doesn't he, for oh, not he, being he on the show? He gets the excuses <laughs> in early, doesn't he? But then he's he looks the part, doesn't he? And his, he certainly his does. leather jacket and his back with his name badge and the whole thing there. Honestly. It's almost like I suddenly realised, Nev, I didn't actually send any of that back to you, you didn't get to hear any of it at all, did you? Uh, no, but uh, I'm not a bad lip reader. No, oh good, excellent, that's a result. So yeah. I, I got at least 50% of that. Excellent, so, yeah, no, really good. So thank you, Armando, for, for taking the time yeah. to, to send us that in. And as I say, uh, he's not wrong. There's some great videos that uh, that he, interviews and stuff that he's done, which I, we can't wait to share mm. with you. So he's been very much, although he's not on the show a lot at the moment, he's doing an awful lot behind the scenes for us, which we're looking forward to, to sharing with everybody uh, yes. now yeah. I should point out that you may have noticed that Carlos is not yes, on the show yes and uh, contrary to what they're saying in the chat room there no I don't have a new patio uh, that was that was the thing that Nick was saying. Well, he was yeah. down at the Chelsea Flower Show, wasn't he? Mm, so he I was. would imagine he's getting ideas for the garden and uh, <laughs> decking and, you know, all the yes. sort of stuff. Well, and if do. he hasn't, his lovely wife, who he took to Chelsea Flower, so that was part of their um, uh, wedding anniversary present to themselves, yes. was yeah, to do yeah, that. Exactly. And and, uh, and they're out to dinner tonight. So they're, oh, lovely. they're, they're really stretching out their uh, yeah, it's, it's their anniversary, the, which is good. Give the lad a night off. Absolutely. Yeah, I right. think so. Now, um, you might be aware that last week there was a well let's say the production values for the first 25 minutes of the show were <laughs> not up to their usual standard <laughs> and i'm not saying that's because yeah. matt and i weren't on the show but i think that may have had something i to think do with it, it did but, absolutely i agree but in fact it was so bad that carlos made the decision to gut the whole of the studio yes uh, yeah. much to mm -hmm. matt's delight I'm, I'm sure. delight is not the word i would um, use <laughs> Horror well, I will, is the word. I, I, I will use. say this though that the user errors were predominantly due to uh, uh, the fault of Carlos and John. Uh, nothing to do with the equipment. Yeah. However, um, yeah. we have gutted. Well, we they have gutted mm. the whole studio, and Matt has been doing a load of testing and rewiring yeah. and what have you. And uh, we almost have a, a brand new setup there. Don't we, we do almost, yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple of new bits. Of, I, I, I'll, I'll save the, uh, the the guided tour, shall we say, perhaps for one of the Patreon videos after uh, 
uh, after it's all finished. Cause we've got a couple of other bits of tech that are arriving this week, hopefully just to sort of oh, you know, nice. dot the I's and, and cross the T's because uh, we've been having a few problems with things like talkback and stuff lately. So we're, we're, while we were doing it, we thought, well, let's get those solved uh, while we're at it. But uh, yeah, l- much has gone on in the studio. Suddenly the studio seems an awful lot bigger, which uh, is ridiculous really because it's the same four walls or three walls and a window. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, looking forward to sharing that. I'll share you some details of the new studio when it's all been uh, finished off but uh, it's a sort of halfway house it's it's serviceable for the purposes of putting out a podcast let's put it that way at the moment yes but, uh, and yeah, uh, not no, quite I, I, th- I think it's it's going to be good isn't it so uh, absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks to everybody who's joined in uh, the live show tonight. And just looking at the chat room, there's uh, the usual suspects in there. <laughs> Myla, Richard Adams, John Jester, uh, Micah, Masher, uh, Nick Codling, uh, Alex Robinson, Richard Adams. Uh, who else have we got in there? Uh, Stewie Thomas, um, Sam Watson. Hello, Sam. Captain Cruz. Um and Shuttlepod 1, those are the ones I can see immediately. So thanks, everybody, for, for joining tonight. Mm. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, if anyone's listening to the audio version that wants to join in, you can also find us at YouTube at youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. If you hit the subscribe and the bell icon, which is right next to it, you can be notified of when we're live and recording new episodes. And we'd love to have you in the chat room with us. So, with all of that said, I think we should start the commercial news section. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, okay, let's do it. Lots of exciting things happening, or perhaps not happening, down at Gatwick Airport at the moment. Um, uh, This information comes from CH Aviation, Financial Times and Head for Points. British Airways has scrapped plans to create a low-cost subsidiary based at Gatwick Airport. The news comes after a pilot's union pulled out of talks with BA due to the carrier reportedly refusing to contractually commit to providing the same benefits to the pilots of its new subsidiary as in the mainline carrier. British Airways had said it was disappointed. Plans for its uh, proposed short-haul low-cost carrier at the UK's second busiest airport had failed to gain backing from Balpa. Uh, In a statement to to Sky News, BA said that after many years of losing money on European flights, from the airport, we were clear that coming out of the pandemic, we needed a plan to make Gatwick profitable and competitive. With regrets, we will now suspend our short-haul operations at Gatwick, with the exception of a small number of domestic services connecting to our long-haul operation, and will pursue alternative uses for the London Gatwick short-haul slots. According to a letter circulated by Balpa last week, which was seen uh, by headforpoints.com, Balpa wanted Gatwick pilots to automatically receive any pay increase or other benefits negotiated by Heathrow crew. Balpa claimed that British Airways had agreed to such an obligation, but when it came to making it legally binding, it refused. Uh, Balpa continued... We have received an email from BA making it clear that the company is not prepared to include the protection clause we require. And they concluded that we can no longer recommend the proposed Gatwick short-haul agreement. As such, we have terminated the consultative ballot. 
with immediate effect. Well, Martin Chalk, who's the acting secretary at Balpa, said that the union remained open to future negotiations with BA to address members' concerns with the proposals for London Gatwick, Short Hall or about any other part of the business. It's worth noting that there are no dedicated BA Short Hall pilots at Gatwick, all having taken redundancy or transferred to Heathrow or joined the holding pool. So the closure will not directly lead to any redundancies. It will impact the remaining furloughed Gatwick short-hauled cabin crew, though. Uh, all Gatwick short-haul flying is now suspended. Flights have been removed from sale, and the only exception will be a handful of domestic services to connect uh, to, connect to the banks of long-haul Caribbean departures. So that's that's quite a thing, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest, the, the short haul and medium haul operation at Gatwick for BA has been there for many years, mm. mainly for the holiday sector, but also a lot of uh, scheduled business flights as well. So I don't know if they try to press ahead. Will they try to um, hire non-unionised crew? But that might go against agreements I mean, yeah I can, I can see a bit of a perhaps. i can see a bit of a bun fight uh, <laughs> um, sort of and it'd be interesting to see what happens with the slots as well would ba use them for something else so um, i mean forgive my forgive yeah. my naivety here what what are, what am i missing here why why do they want to set up um uh, like a why can't it be done under the banner of ba this is what you know sort of well, lo- losing all these various slots as you know i mean i mean ba have had a, a presence at gatwick for you know a long time yeah um, and I, I, you know, all right, I appreciate the the flight numbers and the flight routes and the passenger numbers and stuff aren't there at the moment. But why would creating uh, uh, another, you know, why can't they do the low cost model under BA? What what am I missing here? Or why make it a low cost model at all? This is what I don't quite understand because even their regular, what I would call mainline short haul mm. fleet. I mean, they've got a whole. Um, uh, a series of A320s uh, based at Gatwick anyway, uh, with with Gatwick style registrations on, on the side of their right. Um And even if they were to go sort of what I would call mainline with it as well, they're not going to be short of passengers. That that is for yeah. sure. You know, people want to go flying again, uh, and those short haul routes, especially coming up to the winter. Yeah. So those ski routes into Switzerland and Austria and, and those sort of places would be extremely popular and, and BA I would have thought could have easily filled flights uh, for that and also those that want to go for some winter sunshine uh, down to the Canary Islands for example as well um, but clearly it's it's a union thing so they've decided to have a differentiation between what I would call BA mainline and, and BA light if you want to call it that yeah. um, and obviously there's some differences in uh, pay and terms and conditions which the union are, uh, are not going to have so but it is it is at the end of the day the world's second bi- or not the world sorry the um you know it's the UK's second busiest air- second busiest airport so yeah. um there is obviously a desire for people to have access to um you know holiday destinations and work destinations and yeah. and all that kind of thing from Gatwick I, I don't, as you say I don't quite understand why it all has to be set up under a new banner mm. and and all that kind of thing. I mean, I is think it... there's plenty in, going on in the background that we don't even know about. Probably, and not yeah. the press know about either. So I, I think there's a, a quite a big story behind this somewhere. But it is a pity because, again, mm. there was lots of discussions about implementing the second runway properly, yes. which they already have yep. uh, available to them. But it's you know the specification isn't isn't right yet. But if they did that, then 
with increased capacity again that could make a huge difference but um that's it's a big problem and it's not just about the airport and no. the carrier it's about all these you know all the ground services associated with it, jobs handling, essentially jobs cargo, <laughs> or i mean it's, you know, especially around that sort of horsham crawley area mm. it's a huge employer well um, and of course obviously i mean it's not it's not just involving the airport directly either is it because yeah. obviously you've got all the hospitality services outside of of that area you know i mean crawley itself has got loads of of i mean i've sta- stayed in um you know sort of like hiltons and and all sorts that are all on the outskirts of the airport you know again that's all you know all yeah. jobs and and restaurants and and all that kind of thing i mean it's just I, there, there must be uh, there must be a way of of using the see part of me is worried you see and that perhaps i'm being cynical never you might you might be able to correct me if i'm being here but part of me is worried that a lot of this is happening because ba are desperate for those slots not to go to someone else because i think if they were on the market i think if those slots were ever on the market i think i mean my if i'm honest i think my money would be on whiz air just trying to sort of you know get themselves well established at a major london airport um you know get get themselves out there I think the other thing is that BA's problem really is that, that they need to have the premium cabin stuff. So what they need back is business class travellers yeah. on the European sector. They need um, business and first class travellers going to the US. Uh, and that's where the, the profitability is. Mm. Uh, running A320s backwards and forwards with fares of you know 80 or 90 pounds return or whatever it might be. Um, is not going to make them a whole load of money, but at least they 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 could keep the slots going and all the rest of it. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's uh, this story is not over yet, and I'm sure we'll be yeah. reporting back on it uh, in, in the next couple. Indeed, of months, you, you were saying actually, were you saying that I think there's the um, the the prospect of uh, a certain corridor to the US sort of opening very soon, isn't there? Yeah, I mean from November, starts November, they're they're talking about uh, the US are talking about allowing us Brits back in again and Brilliant. folks from the European Union as well, uh, which would be great. Uh, and again, that uh, that North Atlantic, um, uh, those sectors, um, as just a vital you mm. know, uh, uh, corridor for for trade Absolutely. and for leisure as well. So um, yeah, I hope that nothing trips it up this time and they can get on with it because I think we kind of need to do that really we do absolutely anyway we could talk about this all night but we probably shouldn't uh (laughs) let's move on to the next story and uh story number two is quite often a ryanair story and i'd hate to disappoint so ryanair to remove no change fee covid policy from the first of october so just like uh so like just about every other airline ryanair has uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic, implemented customer-friendly change and cancellation policies. After more than a year, however, the budget carrier is now doing away with its no-fee change policies as air travel slowly begins to normalise. For new bookings made from the 1st of October, passengers will no longer be able to change their travel tickets without paying a penalty. For anyone who has booked a flight with Ryanair, the free flight change change policy will remain in place as long as the flight takes place before the end of 2021. However, all flights booked from the 1st of October will not be eligible to change your ticket without paying an additional €35 penalty. The relaxed policy... Uh, oh, I love it when my computer misbehaves right in the middle of reading a story there. Uh, the relaxed policy that had been discontinued allowed uh, 
date changes at no additional cost as long as the destination did not change and it was done at least seven days from travel. That's not a generous policy as some other airlines. I think BA had a much better policy, I think, um, from what discussions we were having before, Nev. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, Ryanair didn't offer refunds uh, as other ca- other carriers did, uh, but this it, but it is still helpful to customers who may have had to change their itinerary due to circumstances beyond their control. While it's not that surprising that Ryanair would do away with it, it's still disappointing to see the policy go away just because of the flexibility it offered travellers, especially at a time when travel restrictions are still so volatile. The end of the no change fee policy is a clear sign the airline is seeing booking uh, seeing. Travel bookings rebound and doesn't need to bend over backwards to lure customers in. In fact, Ryanair in August saw more passengers uh, than during typical pre-coronavirus winter months. That is at least something to be positive about. I mean, mm. yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess I mean I was a I, I, uh, friend of the show, uh, Lee, my friend Lee Hall, who lives here in town and uh, they're actually hopefully i think it's uh i think it's the first tuesday in october and they're supposed to be heading out to um i think it's lanzarote that they're going to and i sort of said to him like you must because obviously my my flight went ahead so i'm sort of feeling you know i like to feel a bit more positive that because i mean lee has cancelled his holiday must be like five times now uh, you know because he's literally been trying to him and lisa have been trying to go for i don't know how long and i said to him you must be really excited and he stuff and he literally said until i'm on that plane and it's left the tarmac i almost you know i'm not going to believe it until we're in the air um and it, I, i'm probably through through you know passport control at the other end i guess uh, but i mean I, I don't think i'm the only one who who feels like that though i think mm, um I you know i think i mean there's a lot of things i mean i mean you guys made the decision to to pull um the the malta thing quite early on um as it turns out, probably a very, very good call. But again, it was it was that uncertainty for you guys again, wasn't it? Is because you know, I mean, I was hoping, for example, to go to the states in October uh, to go and see Armando and, and Megan and all that kind of thing. Mm. And it was just there was just so much. I I, I can't do short notice, last minute planning. I'm not as good yeah. as you lot at, at coping with it all. And um, you know, it's uh, I, I I don't know is is this what well, I guess the question I'm asking is is this a bit short sighted by Ryanair in a time where we're not out of the woods yet is what I'm getting at. No, I mean I think a lot of the airlines have offered a lot of flexibility. I mean perhaps not as much as people might have wanted in the past, mm. but generally speaking, they've not done bad. But I think the problem is now they need the airlines need to get back to what I would call normal business um, or as normal as it, it can possibly be and that does mean that you know they're going to perhaps reduce flexibility on ticket changes and, and this kind of thing um, and as we've got a bit of time uh, more time than we'd have normally mm. let me just relate this story to you about <laughs> what has happened to me yeah. in the last couple of days I've got a, a, a large birthday coming up at the start of November so Mrs Nev and I uh, wanted What's to that? go to T- 25 plus VAT that's, something that's like that one, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we wanted to go to Fuerteventura on oh, the wow. Canary Islands and we're going to go there but we've got to go via Madrid because uh, BA don't fly there directly anymore so that's okay so we're yeah. going to take an Iberia flight 
to go there. But honestly, when people are designing websites, I, I, wouldn't it be a bad idea to just have a think about, you know, the user experience? And I don't want to beat up too much on Iberia, <laughs> but honestly, they, they could have done a slightly better job on it, in my opinion. Anyway, so we've got it all sorted out. We've paid for the extra this, that and the other and what have you. And just as we think, oh, it's all done now. Thank goodness for that. We've got, you know, 42 days to go or whatever it is. Uh, on one of the islands, in the Canary Islands, there is a volcano on the island of La Palma. Oh, now, no. that is actually quite a long way from Fuerteventura. Right. But I can just imagine, with uh, an easterly prevailing or uh, wind, possibly, or coming from the west to the east, I can see <laughs> excitement and possibly oh, flight no. changes coming along at some point if we're not careful. Remember what happened when the last volcano went up? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, uh, and that disruption was, was yeah. huge, wasn't it? Now, I mean, I'm it not went saying on for, for one yeah. minute it's on that scale because it's not, but it would be typical, wouldn't it? You've just got everything <laughs> sorted out. And now we've got a volcano to deal with, uh, possibly. But it is quite a long way from that part of the Canary Islands. But nonetheless... Uh, the winds blowing across there are significant, so we'll have to see what happens. But um, yeah, yeah, indeed. typical, That's, isn't it? Actually, uh, Neil Lamorne in the chat room here is uh, just a little message. Says the other way of looking at it, Nev, is that they've built up a lot of goodwill, changing restrictive business practices. Uh, they could now continue to act like decent companies and maybe we've got some, maybe. I don't, I don't know. No, uh, I think that's a, that's a fair point, Neil, actually. Yeah, uh, and you, you could say that they, they've had it good for for a very long time yeah. and um, uh, obviously without passengers flying, you know, the, the operation doesn't work at all. They, mm. they need us as much as we need them. So, um, But I think there's going to be a lot of uh, posturing and positioning going on <laughs> in the next few months as well, don't yeah, you? With, with this sort of thing. So anyway, yeah. he's but, also he's also said a positive. It's a, a positive slash refreshing change from COVID. Of course, talking about volcanoes again. Back in that is true. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have not uh, mentioned COVID once in, in yeah. the first twenty six minutes of the show or we? Brexit. I don't sorry, oh, <laughs> no. Don't get Neil started on Brexit. Okay, right. Sorry, the end of it. Shut up, uh, Smith. Sorry. Let, let's let's not go there. Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry, mistake. Uh, right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's. Well, we were talking earlier on about the US. We were opening yeah, up absolutely. flights, weren't we? And on the Forbes.com website, it says that demand for travel from the UK to the US has surged after the White House announced on Monday that international tourists who are fully vaccinated against coronavirus will be permitted to enter the US for the first time in more than a year, starting in November, two of British, uh, Britain's largest airlines told Forbes. Virgin Atlantic told Forbes in a statement on Tuesday that it had a 600% overnight jump in bookings to the US compared to the same time last week, with the most popular destination being New York City. Flight bookings to popular vacation spots with warm weather have also surged. Virgin Atlantic said with uh, flights to Orlando up 11-fold, uh, Miami wow. up 9-fold and Las Vegas up 8-fold. British Airways told Forbes in a statement that searches on its website for flights and holiday packages for US destinations had jumped significantly with searches up 2,000% for Thanksgiving dates compared to the same period last week and a 900% jump for dates around Christmas. 
Uh, interest in travel to the U.S. has also increased in Europe, with German carrier Lufthansa saying its bookings to the U.S. had jumped 40% since the announcement. Before the coronavirus pandemic battered the travel industry at the start of 2019, uh, New York to London was the most profitable air route in the world, with British Airways earning almost $1.2 billion in 2018 from its popular New York J- JFK and London Heathrow flights, making it the first billion-dollar flight route according to a study from OAG, a UK-based global travel data provider. International tourists will be able to enter the US for the first time in 18 months, starting in November, if they show proof of vaccination along with a negative COVID-19 test taken within three days of the US-bound flight, the White House said on Monday. So, finally, we can get back there by the looks of things. Um, And although there was some discussion about whether they're going to accept the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine yes. or not. I, I think they probably have to, really. I think if they start making differentiation there, that's going to be a problem. But all being well, I, I think we're, we're okay, not quite back to normal, but no. you know, better than it was. Absolutely. And as I say, the sooner that, as you say, I mean, that, that's a very profitable route, isn't it? However you dress that, the London to the New, to New York route, that is a, that's a lot of money, isn't it, for, for, for one, it um, for one yeah. route and stuff. And is that, is that the route that, that, that's the Concord route, wasn't it, as well? Uh, yes, JFK, yep, yeah. uh, very much so, uh, except they did it in three hours and ten minutes and it still takes seven or eight hours right yes indeed, but yeah. there you go. Some, somehow we've gone backwards not forwards but, uh, but then the flight's yeah. uh, cost was slightly different as well. yes there is um, that so. there is absolutely that uh, actually going going to back to what we were talking about earlier nick coddling has suggested that if we mention the 737 max we can uh, we can officially call bingo and house we can call yeah yes. <laughs> we've got a full set absolutely yeah, no, watch right. this space who knows there might be talk of a talk of a max later on but yeah uh, no, there absolutely. we go Mm, excellent. So, uh, next story is with you, uh, Matt. Right. Yes. Okay. So, uh, we are. <laughs> do you know? Sometimes this this will teach me for not reading these in advance, right here, because uh-huh. it clearly clearly John has thrown me under a bus on this one. Because although John's not here, he did do all the show prep for me and Nev uh, today. Uh, the headline is Northern Pacific uh, chooses seven five sevens for new trans trans pan Pacific. Services easy for nice. me to say. Apparently, what do you mean nice? That's not the answer Lovely. I was hoping for. Alaska's Northern Pacific Airways is adding six pre-owned Boeing 757-200s to its fleet in a transaction announced on Wednesday. Uh, the Anchorage-based uh, startup has indicated that the aircraft are being acquired from leasing uh, group AirSail and were formerly in service with American Airlines. Uh, so that, ooh, there's a strong possibility that uh, that uh, Nev or I have probably been on one of those then. Uh, Nor- uh, Northern Pacific is part of of the Float Alaska Group, which also includes regional carriers Raven Alaska and Flycoin. Um, the company says it is looking to source other aircraft as it prepares to launch uh, Trans-Pacific services f- to Asia from various US cities of our Anchorage. The 757-200 is powered by a pair of Rolls-Royce RB2, uh, uh, RB211 engines and can carry 200 passengers on sectors of up to 9, uh, 3,915 nautical miles. Northern Pacific said it chose 
used a single aisle model because it is less costly to operate than wide body airliners and has a greater range uh, than similarly sized models. Before the first of the six Boeing aircraft are delivered, they will undergo a sea level maintenance check by certified aviation services in California. The airline expects to launch services in 2022. So, so, right. So, so Alaska's Northern Pacific is a, is a new, is a new airline then by the sound of it. Yes. So are we going to get you on one of those? Do you think? One of your favourites? <laughs> that silence tells me all, all I need to know. That nervous silence is all you need to know, absolutely. Now, uh, Neil Lamborn does mm. say in the chat room that it's the, the best aircraft in history. And I have to say that uh, for those short-haul sectors, or even actually the, the slightly longer haul, I've, I've certainly been on the 757 to Stockholm, our lander, before. Uh, from Heathrow, and uh, very nice indeed, just the job. But going across the pond, not, you know. Not I mean, it was a United flight that I did it with, and to be, I mean, there was nothing wrong with the aircraft. No, uh, Neil has also said I vote the 757 200 for the PTUK 400th show party plane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over my dead body is what to set is what the, which i dare say can be arranged so uh, there we are uh <laughs> i don't know what to say mm. to that never mind okay well um now, not much more you, yeah go on well no you know you said that you we could play aviation bingo oh can we <laughs> guess what the next story is about oh brilliant Yes, this is great it's, news. Lovely. Okay, first one to shout up. house. What do they win? Uh, a mug, I think. Oh, yeah, go dear. on. First one to shout house wins a mug. Go! <laughs> right. So this is all about the 737 MAX, but a slightly different slant on it to the normal stuff that we hear. Uh, it's on the seattletimes.com uh, under the business section. Uh, and it says that federal prosecutors plan to criminally indict Mark Faulkner, the former Boeing 737 chief technical pilot, who is alleged to have deceived aviation regulators and airlines about a critical new flight control system on the 737 MAX, the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday. In a deferred prosecution agreement with the government in January, Boeing acknowledged fraud and criminal misconduct during the certification of the MAX. The agreement called out Faulkner and his deputy as being involved, though it was highly, though it was highly criticised. Uh, that doesn't actually make sense, though it was highly criticised as it exonerated Boeing's senior management by specifically stating that they had not facilitated the misconduct. Mm -hmm. Faulkner left Boeing to fly for Southwest Airlines in 2018, three months before the first MAX crash, crash of Lion Air JT610. He did not cooperate with the Department of Justice investigation into the jet certification and invoked the Fifth Amendment to avoid turning over documents when subpoenaed by federal prosecutors. He left Southwest a year ago and could not be reached for comment. Faulkner's attorney did not return calls on Friday and Boeing also declined to comment. Um, with regard to misleading the FAA and the airlines, Faulkner's role on the MAX uh, from the jet's launch in 2011 through to its certification in 2017 was to win approval from the FAA and regulators around the world for the MAX's technical manuals and pilot training on the new airplane. Pressed by the Justice Department, Boeing turned over a series of emails and instant messages uh, exchanges between Faulkner and his deputy, Patrick Gustafsson, in which Faulkner bragged about how he had Jedi mind-tricked airlines into choosing the minimum pilot training option 
and so avoided the need for extensive training of pilots on full flight simulators that would make the Max a more expensive and less competitive aircraft. To pull that off, Faulkner persuaded the FAA in March 2016 to omit any description of MCAS from the pilot manuals, arguing that it would only uh, it would activate only in extreme conditions. As he said in an email, way outside normal flying conditions. That September, Boeing gave Faulkner and his team a Service Excellence Award for achieving this critical MAX program goal. In late 2017, with certification almost complete, Faulkner discovered that Boeing, based on feedback from its flight test pilots, had changed the MCAS software to make it operate at a lower speed, well within the normal flight range. Crucially, he did not inform the FAA or any of the airlines of this change. Unlike Faulkner, Gustafsson cooperated with Boeing and with the Department of Justice in its investigation. Gustaf, uh, sorry, Gustafsson left Boeing in November 2019, and there's no indication at this point that he will be charged. His lawyer de- declined to comment on Friday. Gosh, the story just goes on, doesn't it? Um, that is... There's, 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 there's stuff, a lot. Has, stuff has allegedly gone on behind yeah. the scenes there, hasn't there? There's a lot of worrying comments in that um particular statement for me i guess as a as a nervous passenger and stuff i mean if they're able to successfully prove any of this i mean this this is a very very worrying situation isn't it yeah and i think this is i mean i'm sure this is going to attract some comment in the chat room but of course Mm. in the u.s the faa is not only the safety regulator, but it's the promoter of aviation as well. And that differs considerably from, at least here in the UK, where we have the CAA, uh, who is the overall regulator, and the AAIB, who are the uh, accident investigators. Um, Two two very different roles. And I guess you could say a little bit with the NTSB in the US as well. Mm. Nonetheless, uh, there's information going on there which uh, would be concerning, and uh, clearly they need to get to the bottom of it. Whether this is going to actually go anywhere or not, I don't know. But pleading the fifth, as they say in the US, um, is is one way of of not disclosing information, isn't it? So... um, I'm I'm, I'm treading very carefully with my words here. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, I'm probably going to choose to be a little less PC and just Mm. say that feels like a massive cop out. Not you. I mean, just, you know, there's because, you know, an awful thing happened. And I think the only way that anybody's going to learn from this is by having all the information out there, you know, and. You know, the Max is now back in the air. You know, they they yes. got to the bottom of it and it's all sorted. Uh, with a stark reverse, if you like, almost, where pilots are now having far more mm. training uh, than they were having before. I mean, you know. Yeah, but, I think Neil makes a great point, actually, in the chat room. He says, the Cavalier attitude to safety is shocking. We need wholesale reform of the relationship between manufacturers, airlines and regulators. And I, for one, would absolutely, um, mm. you know, agree with them there Um, absolutely but um as always with aviation accidents as tragic as they are uh there's always lessons learned um but of course really we should be doing that so that we don't have 
repeat situations and of course there were two 737 max crashes in very short from, succession from each other from the same yeah, problem absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not ideal uh, a couple of things i just want to mention uh, in the chat room just going back to what we were we were talking about earlier actually with the 757 and uh, i'm going to say this because i know we, we don't like to go back once we've moved on but uh, micah puts forward a very very good point here he said matt think about it i think the discomfort that you let me pop it up on screen while we're while we're doing this so matt i think think about it i think the discomfort you feel about the 757 is more that you were flying uh, flying it while ill in a highly anxious state flying alone across the pond and actually that's something that i hadn't really sort of taken into consideration is i was it was probably the first i mean i'd done a i'd done a test flight with owen hadn't i where i'd gone over to yeah, uh went down to toulouse, didn't so i went over to toulouse and all that kind of yeah. thing I had a lovely time especially you know sort of going you know it's always nice to go with your best mate somewhere isn't it and mm. um and uh, yeah, it's. I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, I mean, I, I knew I was going to be anxious and stuff, but I hadn't really factored in the flying alone bit. I hadn't really taken that into consideration. I mean, you're you're a, a regular flyer, aren't you, Nev? I mean, do, but I mean, do, are you? Do you feel differently travelling alone? I mean, or do, or do you prefer it? I actually don't tell Mrs. Nev, no. this, <laughs> but I do prefer travelling alone. Because I've got my own space, my own yeah. situation, and all the rest of it. Um, now I travel with my work colleagues occasionally. Yeah. In fact, I'm doing that exact uh, to Dublin on uh, Tuesday of next week, uh, and that will be interesting to see mm. how that is. But of course, time does pass a lot quicker when you're talking to your chums or, or your work colleagues, don't they? Yeah. So, but personally speaking, I quite like flying alone. Uh, having my own space and my own, you know, personal experience, but that's not the same for everybody. I, yeah. I realise that. You know. I mean, and normally I'm the same. I mean, I, lo- I love going like well, if I'm driving anywhere, for example. I actually enjoy travelling alone. Uh, you can take your breaks when you want to, or not to. I mean, that's the mm. thing. You know, that's one of the things. It's like you haven't got to worry about the well-being of someone else if you're yeah. you're travelling alone. But perhaps uh, in hindsight, travelling alone when it was my first major trip mm. uh like that perhaps that's something that could that have possibly been what you know exacerbated uh, yeah i would say that was uh yeah in a hindsight factor yeah, yeah thinking about it after the event yeah very much so. yeah, yeah indeed oh and uh the winner of the mug uh by the way uh the first person to shout bingo in the chat room uh was captain cruz so uh captain cruz if you can send uh your address please to uh, the studio number, which is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you can do that via WhatsApp, I'd be eternally grateful. Plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you get your address to mm. me, I will make sure that your bingo prize is sent out to you as soon as possible. Neil, actually, going back to what we were talking about here, uh, saying uh, that. Uh, my ex is a nervous flyer, Matt. She all she's always better with me. She hates uh, the go round in the fog. I love it, but I can calm her down. That's a very good point. That is a very good point. Uh, sad news from Myla. She's now having to leave us uh, so oh. early in proceedings. Um, uh, she's had a long week of flying. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, it's quarter to nine in, in her world, isn't it? So uh, That's yes, true. So it's, it's a little time, bit... Uh, yeah. Time for bed. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give her that. Yeah. Indeed. Anyway, good night. Good night, my dear. Uh, okay, uh, let's move on now, to the next Now there's more trouble for Boeing here, just oh. in case we hadn't had enough of it. So this is... Uh, <laughs> 
This is your story, Matt. Yes. Uh, so this is this is probably not what we want to hear, is it, at this current uh, time, isn't it? This is uh, Boeing uh, again. So it's the edition.cnn.com and wsj.com are the sources for this story. And the headline, Boeing reportedly investigating empty tequila bottles found on a future Air Force yeah. One. Wow. Uh, Drinking alcohol and building planes don't really mix. That's why Boeing is reportedly investigating two small empty tequila bottles that were found on one of the planes set to serve as the next Air Force One. The probe over the tequila bottles was reported Monday by the Wall Street Journal. The plane is being modified at a Boeing facility in San Antonio and alcohol is banned at all Boeing factories. Boeing would not confirm or deny the report, saying simply this is a personnel matter and for contractual reasons we are unable to comment further. The plane is one of two 747 jumbo jets being modified to meet the needs of securely carrying the US president and staff. Although it's not a big part of Boeing's business, it is a high-profile halo project that is important for bolstering the company's battered reputation. Um uh the uh the boeing uh informed the air force of a personnel matter relating to the VC-25B program, said Anne Steflick, uh, who is the Chief of Media Operations for the US Air Force. There is no impact to the ongoing modification efforts of the two aircraft. Uh, the Air Force monitors production quality closely and holds Boeing accountable to ensure the VC-25B program meets stringent quality control requirements. Yes, and I think as Micah points out in the chat room, uh, the only good news about the story is that the tequila bottles were only nips, uh, single serve, <laughs> one ounce bottles, and not quarts. Oh right, or, okay. Or seventy centiliter, as we have here, you know. Um, so it was not as though it was a session going on. But right. I, I do concede, you know, that mixing uh, uh, alcohol consumption and aircraft manufacture probably isn't ideal. Uh, but it does sound to me as though um, these were quite minor misdemeanours in, in the context of everything else. But uh, <laughs> there we are. So. No, true. Uh, it's just uh, I decided the, the, this, 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 this is the naivety on my part, I suppose, because I was reading that story. I sort of it kind of gave me the feel that it was essentially, uh, you know, two tequila bottles that had been found in that not uh, yes. not too little yes. nips of yeah i don't know i guess it shouldn't make any difference but uh, you know uh, they're unlikely to have been hammered uh, is <laughs> yes and um, plain talking uk does not condone the use of alcohol consumption uh, no of course no absolutely no of course not absolutely highly highly un, un something or other yeah anyway there we go uh, <laughs> oh, dear. never mind all but now this is a bit of this is a nasty one here right. uh, on flightglobal.com uh, it says that South African investigators have found that the student pilot of the Piper PA-28 turned in the wrong direction oh. after an air traffic control instruction flying just 100 feet directly above a Boeing 737-400 on approach to East London Airport. Uh, the student was conducting a solo navigation flight on the 25th of August from Port Alfred to East London where he intended to carry out two touch-and-go landings. 
Uh, he approached the airport from the north and turned right to join the downwind leg for runway 11, flying close to the extended runway centreline, says the South African Civil Aviation Authority's uh, Accident Investigation Division. Uh, at the same time, a Safair 737-400 arriving from Cape Town was established on the ILS for runway 11 and air traffic control instructed the PA PA-28 pilot to turn right to keep the light aircraft to the north of the 737's approach path. But the student pilot misunderstood the instruction and did not read it back correctly, turning left instead of right, says the inquiry into its preliminary findings. This took the PA-28 directly into the 737's path. 737 crew was cleared to land, but subsequently asked the controller whether he was aware of the traffic turning onto the base leg in front of the jet. Uh, despite the controllers again instructing in a much more forceful tone the PA-28 to turn right, the pilot continued with the left turn and the 737 crew was advised to continue the approach as the PA-28 was higher. Uh, whilst the weather conditions were fine and the student managed to maintain visual contact with the jet, uh, the, the two aircraft converged to a point where they were not separated horizontally and were only separated by 100 feet vertically. That is extremely close. Uh, the PA-28 pilot was instructed to orbit and then establish on the approach to one, runway 11, by which point the 737 with 164 passengers and crew on board had landed. Uh, investigators state that the collision avoidance system on the 737 sounded a traffic alert during the loss of separation and its pilots could see the PA-28. The inquiry is continuing and will examine other aspects of the event before reaching final conclusions. Gosh. Wow. So uh, was this pilot alone? Uh, it doesn't actually say. Yeah. Um, uh, although, actually, um, what it, uh, it says he was a student pilot. So when he was a student pilot... Oh, solo navigation his, flight. Yes, so yes, the student was conducting a solo navigation flight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, because um, a small element of me was like... But I'm surprised that somebody didn't, like, double-check with... Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's... Uh, I, yes. I, I guess you're just limited as you, when when the majority of the communication on the ground, I suppose, is um, you know by radio and sight. Yeah, um, and I think the other thing is is when you when you've got an airport like that where you're mixing what I would call you know general aviation yeah. aircraft and commercial flights, you, you've just got to be you know really mm. keeping a good lookout on I the mean, money. Luck, luckily. Yeah. Uh, there was visual conditions available, so yeah. uh, the 737 could see the, aircraft, the other aircraft, but nonetheless, that was very close indeed. Yeah, too close uh, for comfort, I think, yeah, is, is, is the way to, yeah. Uh, yeah. to end that story. So we'll move mm. on to the next one now. And uh, so this was uh, f- taken from various sources, written for us by John, uh, gov.uk uh, publicapps.caa.co.uk assets.publishing.service.gov.uk uh, lots of government websites basically and the headline is General Aviation gets post-Brexit boost from planned reforms including on pilot licences so the UK government has laid out plans to introduce a range of reforms uh, to make it easier for GA pilots to fly and to support businesses skills and in the in the sector. The reforms are part of wider plans announced by the Minister for Cabinet Office, Lord Frost, on the 16th of September, outlining the UK's vision as an independent trading nation post-Brexit. It bring it builds on... We really have played bingo this evening, haven't we? We have ticked every single box. 
Uh, it yeah. builds on, it builds on the general aviation roadmap published earlier this year, outlining priorities for the sector's recovery from the pandemic. While specific details have not been yet uh, announced, it has been outlined that changes include proposals to simplify pilot and crew licensing and review medical requirements on non-scheduled aircraft, and will further cut red tape on requirements for general aviation users. The changes are expected to be welcomed by the general aviation community and come out at a detailed consultation by the Civil Aviation Authority on UK general aviation opportunities after leaving the EU. These measures come in addition to others uh, introduced by the government to support and enhance general aviation in the UK, such as the in electronic um, uh, cons... I can't even say that word. Conspicuity... Device grant scheme, yes, is right. Good, uh, which <laughs> which is already enhancing safety for pay pilots and re- regulatory changes made since the end of the transition period, including on pilot medical declarations, as well as establishing an independent review panel for complaints against CAA decisions. Uh, Robert Court's aviation minister said, "I want the UK to be seen as the best place in the world for general aviation with a flourishing, wealth-generating and job-producing sector. General aviation is the grassroots of the wider aviation sector and fundamental to attracting the next generation of pilots and skills into the sector. According to the government, the general aviation sector is worth nearly 4 billion pounds to the UK. UK economy and supports nearly 40,000 jobs. Now, um, mm. as I say, we really are playing bingo this evening, and we, we as I say, we've now done a story on Brexit. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I mean, this, this to me, perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm being wrong, and I know there's a, that you know, it's a, it's a subject that is very has polar opposite opinions, shall we say? There are very few people who sit in the middle uh, on this particular subject, but I. D- to me, this does feel like a, a positive, um, a positive thing. If, yeah, if and I can whatever say that. The, the the Brexit argument, I think to see the government doing more yeah. in GA is about time too, because yeah. that's a sector which has really been very difficult, not just just during the pandemic, but for for years mm. beforehand. So I'm glad to see that there's some investment going into that now, um, and. You know, it is worth, um, the government says, £4 billion to the UK economy. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think we should be doing more in that area as well. So that's, uh, that's pleasing to hear about that, I must say. Yeah. Absolutely. Pro- uh, yeah. prog- progress in the right direction, as I say, whichever side of the fence yeah. that you're sitting on. Um, yeah, it's yes. great. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Captain Cruz uh, thinks that I was joking when I said about sending a mug. Uh, don't worry, uh, Captain Cruz. You still, you are still no. the proud owner of the mug. I, uh, we yes. we ha- we are able to send the mugs to anywhere in the world. So please do uh, please do ping me your address, and I'll get get one on its way to you. Yeah. Uh, Nev, you have the next story. We're talking triple sevens now. Yes. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, this is on the avherald dot com. Uh, it says that a Air France Boeing triple seven three hundred registration Foxtrot Golf Sierra Quebec Delta performing flight uh, AF three nine three from Beijing to Paris Charles de Gaulle on Saturday the eighteenth was on the initial climb out of Beijing's runway three six left when the crew stopped the climb at three thousand feet after a loud bang had occurred. The aircraft returned to Beijing. 
for a safe landing on runway 01 about 14 minutes after departure. Uh, passengers reported there had been the sound of an explosion followed by black smoke in the cabin. Uh, passengers of the aft cabin rushed forward. The back of the cabin was brightly illuminated and flight attendants rushed to the aft cabin with fire extinguishers. Uh, the seat cushions were removed from passenger seat row 52, which appeared to show heat damage. Another passenger reported that there had been strange noises throughout the takeoff. Shortly after becoming airborne, a bang occurred at seat row 25 and a burning smell developed in the cabin. The bright lights seen in the back of the cabin were the lights of the aft galley. There had been no fire and no visible smoke, but passengers were quickly moved forward. Shortly afterwards, there was complete power failure in the cabin. Uh, cabin lights came on again a short time later. Flight attendants were rushing backwards with fire extinguishers and removed the seat cushions and found some kind of debris splashing out. <clears throat> According to discussions between flight attendants and surrounding passengers, it appeared that an air conditioning duct may have ruptured. Uh, the cabin temperatures began to rise whilst the strong burning smell intensified until landing. Excuse me. The um, airline reported a technical incident prompted the return to Beijing. Uh, later that day, the airline reported uh, a failure of, the, of a pneumatic system on the aircraft caused an overpressure in one of the air conditioning pipes, which spread residue and dust into the cabin. A replacement aircraft was dispatched to Beijing. Ooh, nasty. I mean, it's not, uh, yeah, I mean, you you don't want to hear loud bangs on an aircraft, do you? There's, there's no, you know, even if you're a good flyer, that's not something you want to hear, is it? <laughs> well, a couple of things that um, come to mind. Uh, there was no time for any fuel dumping there, even if that particular 777 could even do fuel dumping. They're not yeah. all equipped with that facility. But imagine that was quite an overweight landing, <clears throat> bearing in mind it's got... Um, how many passengers? Didn't say, does it? Um, but a fuel, a full fuel load to mm. go from Beijing to uh, Paris is quite significant. Um, so doing an overweight landing there, but it does sound as though the cabin crew were really, you know, at the top of their game, and they extinguished it very quickly. Um, but um, there's quite a lot of technical detail to do with this. But we're probably going to get into areas that. Neither of us are experienced in. Uh, really. No, it's, uh, you know. No, I mean one one of the things that I think worth mentioning here also. I, I feel uh, the website uh, uh, AV Herald is a great website, as we all know. And uh, one thing that that uh, I, I'm just going to put out there. Uh, I'm not saying that this is true or not, but loads of people uh, in the comments section were saying that this wasn't an air conditioning pipe, uh, as mentioned by the airline. Uh, part of the reason for this might not be, uh, might be uh, airlines that run at floor level, for example. They're normally uh, not there, basically. Um, so, I mean, who knows uh, is the short answer to that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just not good. I mean, can, can I also just say, actually, well done to the cabin crew, because I, I can only imagine the panic that must have been done. And one of the things that's interesting, again, from reading all the various comments and, and the, the, the passenger um, uh, accounts of the event, they are so wildly different 
uh, to to everybody yep. else. As I say, and I I just want to say, you know, that, that I mean, I've said this loads of times before, but you know, the pilots and the cabin crew, for reasons best only known to the industry and us, I guess, uh, are, are so much the unsung heroes in these scenarios, aren't they? Really, I mean, that's uh, that must have been so. I mean, the 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 atmosphere on that aircraft must have been beyond horrendous. Mm, yeah, indeed. And uh, but no cabin crew trained to do exactly the right mm. thing, and uh, the flight crew got it back down on the ground fairly sharpish, which was uh, good to hear. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what they do, isn't it? Indeed, uh, and do very very well and competently yeah. uh, all the time. Uh, it's uh, as I say, it's a. Uh, I, I do you know? I think um, they should make a. Uh, I think they should make somebody who's has the audacity to argue with a member of cabin crew. And I actually, I did experience it on um, on my little flight because obviously you're supposed to wear masks. And there was one person who got really snotty with the cabin crew because he was wearing his mask here. Mm. And like, if if you've got it under your nose, you might as well not wear it at all. Do you know what I mean? Because you know that's the whole point. Is it needs to cover. You know, there's a reason why your COVID test takes place in your nose. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a it's the reason why it's not like a breath sample or something. Why like can't that. people play nicely? I know, just, I know. Just help the cabin crew out. You know, indeed, oh, absolutely, yeah. especially uh, in these times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where when things are a bit strange and. And yeah. all that kind of thing. But I guess, you know, we've gone over this subject several times before. As I say, I doff my cap to the cabin crew, on, mm. as I as I always do um, yeah. for, in these situations. Now, uh, we're... Um, uh, now, I've, I, I've been given this story, um, but uh, I, are you able to read it, Nev? Because I've got a little video that I want to play while you're, talk- <coughs> while you're talking am. it. Are you, yes, are you, are you going to be able to cope? Because, bless it, Nev is being very, very modest here, but he's actually not very well, and he's been struggling all day, uh, bless the, it. The, so. the voice is a bit faulty still. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Um, yeah. If you bear with me. But, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting uh, application. Um, on globetrender.com, uh, and on one of their YouTube sites, uh, it says that Emirates Emirates launches first airline VR app mm. in Oculus Store. Well, described as an industry first, uh, Emirates' uh, new VR app for the Oculus headset provides accurate life-size and interactive cabin interior experiences on board Emirates is uh, flagship A380 aircraft and Boeing 777-300ER game changer plane. Uh, created in partnership with technology company uh, Renaissance, uh, Emirates customers can navigate economy, business and first class ca- cabins, explore their seats and even the famous shower spa on the A380 using navigational hotspots. Uh, users can pick up items from the lounge turn on the shower in the shower spa and close the private suite doors behind them they can even go into the cockpit Uh, emirates is working on an updated version featuring its premium economy cabin and latest a380 aircraft interiors well to help prepare for a flight users can look at their seats before checking in online with a 3d seat map the tool allows people to navigate from one seat to another and even allows them to book their preferred seats from within the 3d environment Uh, users can also enjoy hands-free cabin navigation and seat selection by uh, using any vr headset like google cardboard Uh, this award-winning technology is compatible with all devices 
without the need for external applications or plugins. And in the future, uh, Emirates plans to offer customers the ability to explore destinations, select a cabin and book and pay for their Emirates flight from within Emirates Oculus VR app. Uh, Boutros Boutros, who is uh, Emirates' Divisional Senior Vice President of Corporate Communications, Marketing and Brand. That's got to be a heck of a business card he's got, isn't it? Um, Emirates, uh, he says, Emirates aims to provide innovative and outstanding customer experiences, whether on board, on the ground or in the digital space. It is particularly relevant right now, as many people have not travelled for a while due to the pandemic and are seeking inspiration and researching and rediscovering their flight options. Uh, The app's available via the Emirates app as well as the Oculus Store for Oculus Rift users. Gosh. Now, now, uh, if I'm honest with you, this... Uh, this uh, Oculus headset. Uh, now I, I don't have uh, the Oculus headset I, again for a, uh, a Christmas present uh, yonks ago. I think Owen got me actually. I have got one where you, where you can put your phone in the thing, and that works really well. I've watched loads of 3D films actually, believe it or not, uh, with that with huge success with little air buds, bods in and, and and that. Now the only way Matt Smith has just joined us in the chat room. There's more than one of us. Oh wow. my goodness! <laughs> wow. Hi, Matt Smith. Uh, I need. We need more details about you immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, if I'm honest with you, uh, an Oculus headset or a or a you know a, a Google headset, whatever, is the only way that I'm ever going to be able to experience. Uh, the full sort of first class sort of thing, and I love I love Micah's uh, idea uh, yeah, of, of, of this. I this think is you put this, that up on the screen. Absolutely, the way VR works like that, you often get motion sickness. So it's so nice that they can give you the opportunity to experience air sickness while still on the ground. And the other oh, one that I love, uh, the the <laughs> thing that I love also, Richard Adams is uh, this is brilliant. Next idea: give all cattle class passengers VR headsets um, so they can make it look like they're in first. <laughs> Yeah, that's an option. Like it, Richard. I like it. I like it. Oh dear, dear, dear. Never mind. I love it. This is this is this is the way forward. Uh, It's uh, absolutely. I agree. I've broken stuff. It's not. uh, Stop it. Sorry. There we go. It's all right. Gremlins are back. (laughs) Oh, so much fun. I I I love that. I mean, it's. you know, it, they've. Uh, I think I did a racing game and stuff. Actually, where you're talking about the the motion sickness there, and I did. I felt so queasy by mm. the end of it when it's doing that. It's yeah. Also, it's, have you noticed as well? I, I mean, if you look on YouTube, some of the accidents that people have had with uh, Oculus style uh, stuff, where they're banging into things because their arms are thrashing around, or you know, they've fallen over things and uh, they walk into walls. Yeah, and, true. Yeah. This, this sort of stuff so you, you've got to be aware of your surroundings before Indeed. you start on this journey that's for sure a- alex robinson has got a solution to that already can we get a headset linked to a forward-facing camera Ah, yes. There you there go. You go yeah, indeed. Very good. Indeed. Owen's in the chat room as well, by the way, saying that's a good. that's an idea right there. I think he's probably right. Mm. Uh, it, no, great idea. I, I just yeah. uh, as I say, I, I, I think Richard's idea of you know so you can pre- you can be in cattle class and pretend that you are in yes. business class or in first class or something like that. But there we go. Smashing the TV usually is what Neil has offered us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Well, I believe that's where we bring the commercial segment to a close, Sinead. We do, yes. And uh, coming up next, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, 
I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, the founder and managing director of Pitch, uh, just outside Bristol, a fellow called Johnny Palmer. Now, um, you've seen the, the, the preambles that we've done of the 727 that he's got in his car park. And uh, it's we, this is going to be a two-part series, this one. So I've spent the week editing it. But it, it's, it's a great insight as to how you use a... Um, and a now unused aircraft for flying, yeah. but you can use it for other things as well. So let's uh, let's have a look. Well, Johnny, thanks ever so much for coming to talk to us today. Really nice to see you. Uh, welcome on board Pitch Air. Tell us about Pitch first of all. Sure. So Pitch is a um, communications business. We create experiences and share messages. Originally, that was done with live events, but then we realised that our real purpose was to create experiences and share messages, and we realised we can do that through content, through digital experiences, and in-person live events as well. And what about the live events business? How's that been since the pandemic? It was illegalised. You know, we had an industry that was basically made illegal overnight back in March 2020. Yeah. So we then reached our resources, which is AV and production equipment to do other things like broadcasting and content creation. So we've now broadened our gamut of what we do as a business. And have your clients really embraced the virtual event stuff? Now? Some have, some haven't. So some have really got on board and have been amazing. Other ones have sort of, you know, sat and waited until in-person comes back. And other clients have come out of the woodwork and joined us. And now they're part of our mission and vision to democratise knowledge sharing online, which has been really exciting. This is fantastic yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, here we are sitting on board a 727. How on earth has this ended up in your car park? Oh, ah, geez, which part of the story? So it's a 727 um, and it was was at Kemble Airfield without any wings or tails or engines and uh, through a very long story and sequence of events it ended up here on top of these shipping containers at Pitch HQ. And how did you get it from Kemble to here? Oh, so on a truck is a simple question. Uh, the more complex one is the aircraft had to be put on chocks, the stub wings cut off and then dropped onto the back of a lorry, strapped down that's a whole other challenge, and then moved here by motorway with a police escort and then uh, big cranes, really big cranes, cranes that sunk the tarmac they were on to move the thing into position. I'm just thinking about the logistics for this. It's horrific, isn't it? I mean, you know, you wouldn't do this normally, but uh, what a great challenge. And how are you able to liaise with the police, for example, to, to get it here? Well, there's a great guy called Steve Cook from Cook Transport, awesome guy. He is the master of moving aircraft. He's moved 747s around somehow by road in sections. Um, so he deals with the, with the police escorts and got them through the two different um, constabularies of, I think it was, um, I think, Baines and Avon and Sunset oh, right, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes, I had to deal with them and all the overlaps that go with it. Um, yeah, absolute chaos, total chaos. <laughs> and of course, getting it here is one thing, but then there's fitting it out to the way that you want to use it. I mean, how challenging was that? Yeah, so the most interesting bit to me was getting it from being an old husk of a fuselage with some electrics of dubious quality um, and making it so that we now have um, air conditioning, lighting, data, um, and lots of systems, toilets that are working. That's been loads of fun. So I've had to learn um, DIY skills, aviation engineering skills to a pretty basic level. I mean, if this thing flew, you wouldn't want me anywhere near it with my with my set of side cutters. Um, so that's been really fun. Um, just just learning, tinkering, uh, a few facefuls of sparks, a couple of zaps, but it's been really good fun. I mean, aviation <laughs> electrics are not straightforward, especially on a, a vintage aircraft like this. They're normally at sort of, what is it, 115 volts, 400 hertz or, or, or something like that. How nerdy is your audience? Reasonably nerdy. Good, fine. So quite a few. We've got a 110 volts, 60 hertz. We've got 240 volts, 50 hertz. We've got 28 volts DC, not 24 volts. No idea why. 28 volts DC. Then the big one, the 400 hertz, 100 volts, which was the most problematic one. Four separate power supplies. Wow. Yes. With inverters and transformers uh, up and down and across. 
It's not like there's a standard bus bar of power. Oh no, that would be way too simple. It just is all over the place. And mapping that out has been interesting. I bet. How were you? <laughs> how did you realise what that challenge was until you really got into it? No, I met a few of the guys who'd done fit outs for aircraft and museums, and they said, "Look, you need to gut the whole lot and start from scratch." And I'm like, "No, oh, no, I want to make this a restoration project." The wife was like, "Try and keep it original as much as you can. So only replace if we have to." So I tried to use everything that's already in here, and what that's turned out to be is um, most of it, actually. Uh, the wiring quality is exquisite. Like the quality of termination and looming is fantastic. So what I've tried to do is tap into the system as close to the original power supply as possible and energize systems as they would have been when it was up in the air. Amazing. Yeah. Now, just going back to when the aircraft was manufactured, yeah. who did it first fly for? So 1968, Japan Airlines. There's a 42746 uh, was the model number, so a 100 series. And then it got converted in 1981 to a private jet, we think for a Saudi prince. Then a few other dubious characters um, throughout the here. Sorry, Lars or Mark. I'm not referring to you, by the way, in case you're watching. Um, and there are a few gaps in its history, and we don't know who owned it or who flew it. Interesting. Mm. And in terms of the, the the way it's presented now, I mean, you can't miss it as you drive past the end of the road. Uh, my satnav didn't quite take me to the right place. Needed to bother bother bit because the, the 727 was sticking out the front the front there. It's a great icon, isn't it? Well, I just say to people, just you know, drive past, look for the aeroplane. It's the white one. Yeah, exactly. I think that's funny. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> and in terms of actually acquiring the aircraft yeah. from Campbell, what, yeah. what's the process involved in that? Well, there isn't a process. That's the first point. I just heard that there was a place where there was a bit of an aircraft graveyard, um, which we're not allowed to call it that because it's Cotswolds Airport. It's not an aircraft graveyard. Very important, Suzanne. Um, so I heard they were there. So I uh, phoned up the guy, said, hey, can I come have a look? And a, a guy called Mark, lovely chap, I hope you interview him one day. He was like, sure, come down, uh, have a look. He was really patient, really kind with me and my friends, probably rolling his eyes a bit, thinking of the tyre kicker. Showed us round, and I met this magnificent beast of a thing. And I thought, got to have it. But I thought, he's probably sick and tired of people coming around looking at aeroplanes and nothing ever happens. So I went away and got planning commission for it and then went back to Mark with my planning commission and we had a you know, grown-up chat about the acquisition of the aircraft. And that was good. And, you know, Mark's a top bloke. I enjoy, I enjoy our chats. We talk about aeroplanes quite a lot. Nice. Yeah. And what are you going to use it for now it's here? Uh, parties, meetings, looking at, just playing with things. Flicking the buttons in the cockpit, that's my favourite. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And what about your clients? I mean, what, what's their reaction to it? Uh, they like it. It's just fun. I, I, I feel in a way, putting the sort of business hat on, is that it's a good representation of our values. It's experimental, it's energetic, it's disruptive, it's quite creative in a weird kind of way as well. And it's all about learning and having new experiences. So in a way, I actually think it reflects the values of our company in, in quite a positive, albeit slightly abstract way. And also, it's a way to get clients back into seeing you, isn't it, I guess, as well? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know, you want anyone to come around say you know i've got some you know come come around have a coffee on the plane and people are like yeah sure you know that might sway them to come for the meeting when perhaps normally you'd have a chat on the phone so it's been good for building much more like um connected human relationships and having an environment where you can have some really fun interesting conversations and actually to do this at the time of the pandemic as well i think is quite interesting because people are looking to do something different and they're looking for new things to talk about and, and discuss as well yeah i think we're all a bit bored we wanted anything that wasn't about the bat flu 
Um, so some random aeroplane being dragged down the motorway. It's, it's a good story. It's a kind of feel-good, slightly silly, eye-rolling kind of story, which I think was really nice at the time. It was just a, just a breath of fresh air for everyone. Yeah. And is this going to be uh, the start of more stuff to come from you, do you think, like this? Well, I, I, there was. I did get an email about um, two other aircraft that were for sale, and I was kind of tempted. But the team here at Pitch were a bit like, Johnny, one's kind of cool, a little bit weird. Two becomes just strange and like a scrapyard. So can we just keep it to the one aeroplane for now? <laughs> I get the feeling that one of these days there is going to be something else turning up here. I, I was just thinking, I just, I, I've just been watching films and seeing things like A340s and think, wow, wouldn't that be cool? Something that big, a wide body, that'd be cool. And that's a whole other engineering challenge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there'd be no room in the car park or for set building or anything, will there? That, well, there's, that point, you know. as we say in commercial property, um, you know, the ground costs money, that doesn't. You know, yeah. air's free, so you can just go up. Absolutely. Yep. Now, obviously, you're an aviation nut. You, you're dead keen on it. Yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, for me, see, planes flying I don't like because of the carbon emissions and the environmental impact. But the engineering of aircraft, to me, is the absolute pinnacle of the awesome stuff humans can do. You know, normal engineering, it's like, let's make it strong and tough, whatever. But with aeroplanes, it's strong and tough and durable, but also with minimal materials. Cut every corner you can, but not make it dodgy. And I love that balance of extreme engineering with minimal materials minimal weight and i find that inspiring it's just the antithesis of the the best of engineering and i love that and being able to go through an aircraft like this and really get under the skin of it it's just everywhere you look there's just beautiful pieces of design and engineering everywhere to me to me to me it's an art form and of course compared to when this aircraft was designed (laughs) compared to what people are doing now it's a whole different ball game in terms of economics, mm-hmm. uh, environmental impact and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the biggest differences between when this was built and, and what we're seeing now? Probably um, the idea of what efficiency was. I mean, the 727, as you and your listeners know, was a very efficient aircraft at the time. Um, ironically, the reason it got taken out of service is because of how inefficient it was. You know, by the end of their lives, they were costing about $10,000 an hour to run. Whereas in the, in the 60s, they were this, wow, look how little fuel they need. Yeah. So I think the efficiency... Um, and to me, efficiency is an artful thing. It's about trying to squeeze every little marginal benefit from your materials or your fuel to get more out of it. And, and again, I love that process. It's interesting, isn't it? How, how in the space of, what, four or five decades, there's mm. been an absolute massive change uh, in the way aircraft are manufactured, engine efficiency, this kind of thing. What's your I challenge t- you on that, though, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they are much more efficient, but fundamentally, they're the same. We're still getting a hydrocarbon, setting it on fire and using the fact that it expands a bit to make some things spin around to move something along. Fundamentally, it's exactly the same. Nothing's actually changed. I was in the cockpit of a 737 the other day, firing up the engines. And I'm, you know what? A brand new one and a 72, very similar. Really similar. Even the fonts on the panels are the same. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> the, the efficiency's gone through the roof, but the fundamental um, technology and processes are the same. Mm. And what's your opinion on private jets and that kind of flying? I mean, they're super cool, aren't they, right? But again, the environmental side, I'm kind of conflicted on this. I love aeroplanes, I I love flying, I love the engineering, but I struggle a lot when you look at the fuel consumption of, you know, something like a Gulfstream or even a commercial airliner, and it's just mind-blowing, the carbon emissions off the back of it. And there's a bit of a conflict within me on those two things that I I love dearly, you know, our our planet, but also the engineering. Mm. And how about the new fuels, as it were? What, what's next? I mean, we're seeing in hybrid technology, mm-hmm. hydrogen being experimented with. Where, where do you think we're going to be in 10 years' time? Uh, I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting. But, and this is a bit philosophical. We're always focusing on how we can do basically whatever the hell we want in a more sustainable way. 
sorry, Wetting, how can we fly across transatlantic without burning jet fuel, as opposed to should we really be flying transatlantic in the first place? And the activist environmentalist in me thinks we need to challenge the fundamental assumptions of how we can live rather than doing what the hell we want in a way that's more, inverted commas, sustainable. Yeah. Follow me? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Different way of thinking. Mm. So, even, and I have this as well, this sense of entitlement. I want to go to Greece, you know? What's the way I can do it that makes me feel less bad, you know? As yes. opposed to maybe I could, you know, enjoy the Lake District more. And I think some of your clients may be inspired by that as well, because they've got to try and tick lots of boxes now in terms of the way they travel and the, and the way they operate too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the events industry is terrible. So when a client starts talking about a sustainable event, it's like, let's just stop you there and talk about that little premise. Um, so back to the events business, what are we doing? We're sharing messages and creating experiences. Do people have to travel for that? Sometimes, yes. You know, you're not going to go to Glastonbury digitally. People have tried. It's not great. But other types of events you can experience remotely. If you're doing a content delivery piece, say a conference, it is viable to actually attend the event digitally and not go there in the first place. So there's lots of opportunities around fulfilling our real cause and our mission without um, being so damaging to our planet. And do you think uh, people really get on board with that now in, in terms of what they've got to do next, in terms of uh, uh, making their their lives easier, but still ticking some environmental boxes at the same time? Uh, yes and no. There's a massive spectrum. I mean, I've got some clients, I won't mention names, who the idea that they banned single-use plastic bottles at their conference that's um, held on the other side of the planet is a like massive win and a huge PR piece for them, which I just find bizarre. Um, and then other people who are fundamentally turning their back on the, the way that they live completely. So there's a huge spectrum right now. But I think um, what's going to happen in business more broadly is that everyone is going to have to really engage in an honest, authentic way about the impact they're having and find better ways of doing things. Do you think we're just playing catch up now because we should have been having these conversations decades ago? It's about... worse than catch up. You yeah. know, the, 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 the climate issues and our environmental issue is indisputably uh, beyond serious. Um, we know that we can't fix it. We know that. Um, and we know that now we're dealing with the fallout. There is absolute scientific consensus on that fact. Um, so we're already in the um, collapse. Yeah, it's pretty horrific, isn't it? And I, I think that uh, whatever we do will never be enough now, will it? It won't. I mean, the biggest thing that jumps out to me is climate stuff, you know, it's very technical, very complicated. One thing you can't deny is the number of species that have become extinct. Yeah, we're not getting them back. We can't fix that. So that saddens me. Um, but again, I'm conflicted as a you know person who, who, who loves the way that we get to live in the West and the things we get to do. Um, it's, it's hard, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. much so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like eating nice food, but I also don't want there to be um, pesticides that kill all the bees, you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, <laughs> several interesting subjects that have oh, come dear. up. Oh, we, I mean, we, we covered some ground there, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy, I didn't expect it to go in that direction, but no. so we've, we've gone from... You know, the 727 turning up on his car park, and we're now talking about climate change. Uh, not, not, the, not an area of my speciality, I have to say. So, uh, Although, he, uh, I, I, I was going to say, I suppose there's a strong argument for the fact that by having the, S, the 727 there, he is recycling it beautifully, shall we say. I guess we could say that. Uh, Tony yeah. Adams has suggested that I hope he didn't see your ST in the car park now. Uh, he did, and he's actually been, in fact, he's actually been inside it. As oh, well, wow, okay. He went down the road. To, to buy some uh, some food uh, right a few weeks okay ago. um but uh yeah i think that um well we've got the part two coming up yeah. um i'm not sure whether we're ready for next week but i'll, I'll certainly do my best okay. but, uh, uh, again really interesting application there and he did hint there that there might be other 
aircraft in the pipeline, although I think his staff are trying to persuade him or or dissuade him (laughs) from doing that because it ends up looking like some sort of... uh, you know, uh, wrecking car park. If I, like I mean, I, I love it. I just yeah. think, as you say, that's the ultimate in recycling for me. I just love, yeah. I love, uh, you know, I, I love his passion and his enthusiasm. And I, regardless of whether you would agree with the subject matter or anything like, I love anything like that where you know somebody's talking passionately about something they believe in. Um, oh, and and Johnny is just, you know, well, you can tell, can't you? In yep. The sort of fellow he is, he's, he's just full of enthusiasm for anything he wants to talk about. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. which is why. I, you know, it was so nice for him to talk to us uh, the other week. So, uh, yeah, part two coming up uh, soon when I can yeah. get round to finish editing. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Busy few days for you ahead by the sound of it, Nev. So it, it may not be, be this, may not be this week coming. Yeah. Uh, so we've got another guest uh, interview as we well have. to play out. Uh, this time it's from a chap called Mark Loper. Now, Mark's an aviation photographer that does air-to-air and air-to-ground and event photography. Well, Armando met Mark whilst he was at the Reno Air Race, and Mark was very kind enough to speak to us about his business. All right, guys. Uh, I'm here with Mark E. Loper. We just had a good talk about this. Uh, now I... I met Mark at the Reno Air Race. So this is a Reno connection. This is the first of our interviews from Reno in 2021. We were just happy to be back there, weren't, weren't we, Mark? Oh, my gosh. It was just nice to be out in uh, an outdoor environment again. <laughs> Have yeah. an air show. At an air show. And that is one of the things we've been talking about on the show this whole year is when will we get back to going to air shows? And I got to admit, it felt really nice, didn't it? It did. It was nice. It felt normal again. Yep. And, and, uh, here, since, since Mark is our first interview for, uh, for the Reno series, we'll, we'll say it, it was a success. The, the week started a little bit rough, uh, operational wise, because I think it was, uh, I don't know, you f- feel free to, to jump in, but I think having the 18 months off, uh, from Reno from the previous year, really a lot of corporate knowledge and just, uh, we got rusty just like anything else in aviation, didn't we? Yes, yes. There was a little bit of turnover on the high management side, too. Our CEO has been there for now four races because you can't count four years because there was a year off. But um, there's some others uh, just below him and some switchovers. And there's a little bit of growing pains that they've had uh, this year. It seems like some operations and things got uh, a little lost. But um, I think we by the end of the, the week, we got back on track. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And and by the end of the week, the important days were Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and as we looked up into the stands, we saw them full and the pits were full and there were a lot of people. And by all accounts, I think it was a, a success from a financial standpoint, which which uh, we had Bob Mills on the show a couple months ago now. And the uh, it, it was imperative that this year was a success for the Reno Air Races. But by all accounts, I think it is... Uh, it was a success and we'll probably see each other in 2022. I hope, right? I hope so too. Yes. Um, uh, obviously there were no incidents, no accidents and, uh, and, and Mayday's recovered uh, cleanly. That's what, uh, Fred telling our CEO always wishes for. And I think we succeeded with that and, uh, we'll uh, live to see another year as long as the attendance numbers were high enough. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So Mark, for, so we met at an airport. We met at the Reno Air Races. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in aviation? Oh, wow. Um, 
Well, I guess I can go back to when my mother was taking flying lessons when I was six years old. So uh, that's where I started um, getting involved with aviation. And when um, my mom was learning how to fly, she would have friends that uh, she would fly with when she got her license. And they would drag us around um, Southern California to air shows. So I would go to the Porterville Air Show when I was like seven or eight years old. Um, she was single at the time, but uh, she flew her cross-country trip up north, northern California, um, got into San Jose to, um, to try to find out where she wanted to go next because there were some weather issues in different parts of California. She met a guy in the pilot lounge of, of San Jose, and he says, well, I manage Lake Tahoe Aviation. Why don't you come up here? It's beautiful. And so they uh, kind of caravan, not really well, he was in a faster airplane than she was, but she flew up to Lake Tahoe. They started um, um, dating and a few years later, they got married. Um, he was um, a pilot. He managed Lake Tahoe Aviation after he had gotten out of the Air Force flying C-130s. Um, he had just um, at that time too, gotten a corporate job flying um, DC-9s for uh, a Saudi Arabian sheik. And uh, then he was offered a larger position to go to a 727 and be captain of a 727. And we all moved where the, um, the sheik lived up in London, England. So from there, I moved to London, England. I got a lot of time in different um, aircraft flying around while my mom was learning to fly and um, and then going to air shows. Uh, and then when we got on 727, I got a lot of cockpit time in a 727. And then while we're in England, uh, one of the bigger air shows in the uh, countries over there is the Farnborough, which is also equivalent to the Paris air show that they alternate between years. I believe they still do that. Um, so I had even gone to the Farnborough air show where the Harrier was debuted and the Airbus aircraft was debuted. And uh, so I've been to a lot of air shows since I've been really young. When I came, uh, when we moved back to the States, I went to obviously high school here and college, but I wasn't too involved with the air shows at the time. Every so often I would go see an air show that was local uh, until California Capitol, which is my home show now, is in Sacramento. I started going to the California Capitol air show and then picked up more photography aspects of it i would take my camera and try to take some good shots so making this uh long story a little bit longer um i now am the lead photographer of the team of photographers at the california capital air show since about 2010 now and uh, and it's not only just that air show now i get hired by other air shows to come shoot their shows sometimes as hired help sometimes i go as media um, sometimes um, just to give them some extra images. So it's just, we can get into where I'm doing and what I'm doing um, further if you want to go deeper into that. Well, I think before we do that, let's, let's talk about the photography aspect of it. So is that something that just came natural to you? Did you study? Did you just learn it as you went? I actually started taking pictures with a little Kodak disc camera when I was 15. <laughs> 
I don't even think uh, uh, my mom let me use her 110 camera, which was just a little tiny 35 millimeter camera. Uh, but then she got me a disc camera. I started taking pictures out in the, the yard and of my my um, remote control vehicles down in the, in the yard and that kind of stuff. So I, I started doing photography um, in high school. Um, I bought some nice cameras and I would take them on trips. And through the time of photo photographing, photographing, I can talk, photographing my um, vacations and trips that I would go on, and I would do a lot of scenic stuff. Um, and uh, little by little, I was getting better and better. And of course, everybody who knows you says, "Oh, that's a great shot. You should continue." And, course that everybody thinks they're a fantastic photographer at that point um, but uh, through the years I've come across professional photographers and I've assisted professional photographers and I even um, got on board with doing some videography for um, a uh, website that would teach others how to um, shoot and how to use your camera and because I was part of that I learned from a lot of these other master photographers that taught photography and um, tell you everything about the specifics of your camera. And uh, over the years, uh, you just start through a simulation. I've never actually um, taken courses, but I've taken classes with professional photographers at that point and learned all the aspects of, of how to use the camera properly. Well, I'm, I'm here on the website right now. It's uh, Mark E. Loper, L-O-P-E-R.com. And on there, you've got a couple different things. Like now, one of the things that I, that I focused on and, and really what we got to talking about on the ramp was there uh, was the air to air photography. We'll, we'll come back to that. But in addition to that, it looks like you do air to ground, you do air shows, you do corporate. Um, actually, you, you were telling us just recently you were shooting a, a corporate uh, flight department, some of their aircraft. Um, and it uh, looks like you do all kinds of cool things. Now, I, I do want to focus on the air-to-air -air photography because I just think that's super cool. So without giving away industry secrets where people can catch up to you, what's your, what's your preferred equipment, both airplane-wise and camera-wise, to do air-to-air? -air? So there isn't really a lot of secrets in that. It is all about connections. Um, having the access to um, aircraft that you can shoot from. Um, and it all depends on what you are shooting as well. So if you're shooting a J3 Cub, just a small little Piper Cub that has an airspeed of about 80 knots, that's going to be a lot different than the fastest thing that I shot, which is a Falcon 7X, which uh, can barely slow down to 160 knots. So has a lot to do with uh, what it is you're shooting um, from the air, but you want to have something that has like speeds because you don't want to have something that's so slow. Um, you don't want to be shooting a, a, a P-51 out of a decathlon. It just doesn't quite work that well. And it, and it doesn't look as good if they're trying to stand your wing because they're just barely afloat yeah. without stalling. So are um, these aircraft especially modified or do you, do you go stock if no. it's small or? Um, what my preferred and most preferred for these types of flights 
is uh, a Bonanza um, A36, which is a uh, has passenger doors on the right side that you can actually take off the airplane. And that gives you a great big window that you can shoot out of that isn't a window. So getting plexiglass out of your way is going to make a huge improvement on the quality of your images. So that's uh, step number one. And other aircraft, uh, the B-36, which is, has a barren wing, um, is fine. Uh, the last shoot I did was in a B-36TC, which is a turbocharged, but that only helps with cruising speeds at high, not necessarily um, shooting speeds when you're going around in circles trying to hit these airplanes. Um, you can do it from a Baron. They have uh, windows that pop out, but then you've got a twin engine that doubles your cost of operation, usually because you've got two engines to fill with fuel instead of one. Um, and then you can do Senecas. Um, those have also doors that come off on the left side. If you want a different perspective, um, like Shondi Tucker has a Seneca in his fleet, and many times they go places, he takes the Seneca for all their media flights and air-to-air stuff that they do. Um, so those are the three or four aircraft that are preferred for most air-to-air -air photographers. Now, having met at Reno, one of the one of the things that we focus on on pilot training and, and really one of the the core skills at Reno is formation flying. So I imagine you this is a, a mission planning thing. So how do you first of all are you I imagine you're strapped in when you have a big oh, yeah. gaping door, right? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but in addition to that, how do you how do you brief I can't imagine that that a uh, uh, pilot flying a Falcon does a lot of formation flying they may have in the military or something like that but how do you go about that how do you how do you mission plan both from a weather standpoint from an emergency standpoint um right. from from everybody from a j3 to a corporate jet um we do prefer uh formation qualified um, pilots in both aircraft um and that is a pretty strong preference. Uh, if I feel that we cannot do the mission safely with the pilots that we have, then we don't do it. Now, uh, let's just go back to the last um, sh uh, shoot that I did. Um, we had a fleet of aircraft and the um, chief pilot was not formation pilot. He had never, well, he's done a little bit in the past, he says, but not a whole heck of a lot. So when I got this opportunity to shoot this fleet, I asked to have a formation pilot in the subject aircraft. So um, that was a Citation Mustang, which was a pretty small corporate jet. Um, but then my formation pilot was not a uh, rotor pilot and he was in an Augusta 109 and um, so what he does is he goes in with the actual pilot and um, coaches them, guides them, guides them, okay, I need you to do this or do that or move out or um, uh, just uh, as a comfort level of where you should be placed next to an aircraft and how you should handle emergencies, especially. Um, I also have a formation trained pilot that's flying my Bonanza per se, whatever it is that I'm in. And then I get a safety pilot also that sits right seat and he helps with the communication between me and both pilots. 
So if I have a request, um, once we're in the air and we're starting to shoot, uh, I try to run the show. I run the show basically telling everybody where I want them, if I need them higher, lower, forward, back, what movements I want them to do. Um, sometimes I have a little switch that I try to push to talk, um, but it didn't work in this last airplane. So I have to relay all my messages to my safety pilot and my safety pilot replays them back to the other um, aircraft. And then of course I have my corporate pilot in the right seat, if not flying the jet, at least um, coaching the pilot and what we're supposed to be doing and how to handle emergency. So if there is an emergency situation, my corporate pilot can get us out from the subject aircraft and my pilot that's piloting my bonanza will know how to handle it as well. So we do brief every flight, every time, every time before we go on a flight, exactly what we're gonna do, where we're gonna go. Um, obviously at that point, we check um, weather to make sure that where we're going is going to be nice enough. Um, this, the last shoot was, um, um, quite um, intense because we had three aircraft that we needed to do in two days. And so we briefed, and it was going to be in two different shooting locations. Um, so we, we had to brief um, times that we were taking off because I'm in a slower airplane than my subject airplane. So we would have to coordinate our TOT, which is a time over target. And um, we would have to fly a distance, land, take the doors off, get back in the air during our TOT, meet up with the aircraft, do our whole shoot, and then tell them to return to base. And then we land and put our doors back on and we fly back home. So, <laughs> and, and that was a huge coordination effort. And all of this from, from, from an artistic standpoint, you're also trying to balance light and backdrops and all this in addition to just flying weather, right? <laughs> Correct. Well, fortunately for us, the time that we wanted to do this, the weather was perfect. And uh, this was actually two days prior to Christmas. So we did it this last, um, this last Christmas, uh, December of 2020. And uh, the base was in Scottsdale, where the aircraft were. The shooting locations were Sedona, far up north, and even farther up north was Monument Valley. So we did two trips to Monument Valley, one trip to Sedona. And yes, we did um, late evening on two of them and an early morning on one of them. So our time over the target was late evening prior to sunset. So kind of kind of in that golden hour or just a little bit prior to just because I wanted to have some extra time in case we didn't get the shots we needed. So I was a little early on both of those, but the lighting still was spectacular. Well, and also the those tend to be the the calm wind time. So how do you deal with with turbulence if there is any, or do you just cancel if there's a lot of turbulence, or do you just deal with it? Uh, we just deal with it. In fact, there was a little bit of wind up in Monument Valley on our first um, first shoot, the first day, and uh, we were bouncing around quite a bit in the uh, photo airplane and. Uh, uh, my corporate pilot looked over and says, oh, my God, you bounced so much. I thought you were going to bounce out. <laughs> but fortunately for me, um, not only am I strapped in by a seatbelt, but I also have a harness that I connect up. 
So if I need to move around, uh, I can unbuckle the seatbelt and move around a little bit in the cabin area, but I try to keep that harness pretty short so I don't get more than uh, a, uh, an ankle out the door before I'm tethered back into the airplane. So that's the last thing you want is to fall out of an airplane while you're shooting, but it does get bouncy. Um, you gotta have, make sure your gear and your head don't hit the <laughs> ceiling. And uh, image stabilization on lenses helps quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. Is that, I mean, it's hard enough to shoot out of a moving anything, but a moving airplane. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, honestly, it is easier than you think. Um, so once you're up in the airplane and you're shooting outside in another airplane, you guys are matching speeds. So it's the only thing that's really moving other than the two airplanes, but between the shots itself is the background. Because when you stick a plane outside your window and it sits right there, it's a still image at that point. Um, so the, what that helps with is if you've got a, um, a, a propeller aircraft, um, and we can get into this, um, you, uh, you get a full disc of, uh, basically you slow down the shutter speed so you get a full disc in those aircraft that you're shooting. And that tends to be the most um, dynamic looking image versus frozen props are the telltale sign of an amateur shooting airplanes. Yeah, I know one of the images on your website is an upside down extra and you can see the full the full yellow disc of, of of motion of the propeller, which is pretty cool. Now, do you, do you have the pilots fly at max RPM or something like that? No, to, actually, to uh, that image I know is Patty Wagstaff, and she had her extra three hundred, and we were going up for a, uh, a, a flag jump before an airship. So we were actually in, I believe, uh, Cessna. 206 um and that is where our flag jumpers so we had skydivers in that airplane and so they're ready to go up we we're going up to like 10,000 feet or something and what happens at air shows typically is when the flag jumpers jump out of the airplane then there's a, a aerobatic pilot that circles around them with with smoke to try to give it a little added fun to look at as people are skydiving out of airplanes so every time, uh, especially at California Capitol, and I see it at most air shows too, but uh, every time the jumpers go up, I like to go with them because I get some air-to-air -air time with an open door with our aerobatic pilots. So that's Patty Wagstaff, and she she did what she wanted to do because she saw that I was in there and taking photos. And all she was doing was just formation, uh, flying on our wings as we get to elevation before the jumpers jump out. But in the meantime, while we're going up, she's uh, she's doing all kinds of different things, and flying sideways with smoke on and then inverted. And um, with her engine type, her propellers that she has a three bladed prop, um, you don't have to shut or slow down your shutter as much. Um, in fact, it was uh, I'll give some tips here. Um, when you're up with an extra or an aerobatic pilot like that sort of stuff, in order to get a full circle without getting blurry photos, set your um, your time, uh, your shutter speed to 1, 125. And that'll give you a full circle in these aerobatic planes most of the time when they're up um, flying um, next to you because they're not full 
throttle. They're not necessarily um, full RPM, but but that is the right number mixture to um, to getting the full arc. Yeah. Now, uh, as the resident military guy on the show, I see a couple of pictures on here. Now you're you're inside of a uh, tanker passing gas to a DC a KC ten. How did, yes. How did you swing that? Um, ever so often, uh, I get to go on some sorties. Uh, the local Air Force base uh, here, there's actually two of them, but uh, one of them is Travis, and they do a lot of the heavy lifting type of things. Um, they have uh, C-5s and C-17s based there, but in, uh, while they're also there, they have the, the KC-10 uh, refuelers. And through California Capital, because I um, work with that air show year round, uh, every so often there's opportunities that come up. And our executive director asked the wing commander over there if we can get a media flight uh, for some of the Travis stuff that we can help promote. Because we, we actually partner with Travis and with Deal, which is the other Air Force base north of us. Um, we partner with them to do air shows and they bring over their stuff. They fly it through on a, on a parade. We call it a heavy parade. Uh, they also put it on the ground for statics for people to walk through. Um, but anyways, uh, this one year, I think that was 2012 or 13 or something of the sort. Um, they uh, invited me and some other media members to go on a mission or a sortie, which is, uh, they call it swapping spit. So that it's two KC-10s that go out. We got to go out over the ocean, Northern California, and uh, we will give gas to the other one, and then we'll receive it back um, later in the flight. So I've had the advantage of going up and sitting in the boom operator. The boom operator is the guy who's in the back with the, the hose down to the second aircraft. And um, we plug it in and let them um, receive some fuel. And then I can see out that window. I can take pictures out that window while they're doing that. And then I also had the opportunity that uh, when we're receiving from the other aircraft that they stick me in the jump seat of the cockpit. And I can take photos from that angle too. So I got some great shots from both sides, one going out the tail end and then coming out the, the nose end. What, what do you think about those two very large airplanes being that close together? Uh, it doesn't scare me at all. Um, in fact, I've flown in smaller aircraft with much smaller um, um, separation. Um, and... Uh, it's sometimes it's crazy where it, it kind of shocks you once in a while when you've got some professionals that know how to form up really quick. So when uh, you're in a small airplane and um, you need to get to a certain position and they zip right underneath all the others <laughs> and then pop right up into spot and they're literally five feet off the wingtip of the other one. It's a little crazy, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I trust and I, uh, and I know that these pilots have been doing it a very long time. And I know that they know their emergency procedures in case something happens. In fact, I've been in a backseat of a T6 where we've actually lost a window. Um, and fortunately, my hand was not out the window at the time because it went zipping right past me. Um, but we had to return to base 
um, because of that. It's not something you want. If there's something that happens to the airplane, you just stop what you're doing. You got to go back. Yeah, and certainly. Take care of that later. So yeah, I've had a few instances that uh, might be a little hairy, but uh, or something that raises the eyebrows when it happens. But uh, um, but I'm with a bunch of professionals. I wouldn't fly yeah. with anybody else. Well, I know, I know we, we mutually know some of the best formation pilots in the world. Uh, well, well, they're pretty impressive right there at Reno. <laughs> yeah. Now that, that's a, that last comment was a great segue. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you was what, what do you think has been your most challenging mission, your most challenging photo mission? Um, well, it, my last one was the most challenging because I had to, uh, coordinate everything. I had to find a photo aircraft with a qualified pilot. Um, luckily, a great friend of mine is uh, the corporate pilot, formation pilot. Um, one of the guys that I fly with often, especially in formation. Um, he, I said, hey, I got this opportunity. Do you want to help me with it? He goes, yes. <laughs> and there was no hesitation. And then um, a couple of our friends from Reno were based in Scottsdale, where the mission was going to start. So we connected with those guys. They were all supposed to help me on each mission. So I was supposed to get one guy permission, but uh, the other two at the time had some issues going on. It was literally two days before Christmas. Uh, it was most difficult and draining, not only just trying to coordinate the people, coordinate the airplane, but then we had to schedule three different flights uh, while we're away in the shortest time period. So I had to schedule everything down to a T of when we breathe, when we take off, where we're landing, where we're going, what we're doing, what I'm going to shoot, what the background's going to be. It was, it, it was literally a month of planning which is actually very quick because they called me i think in late october and then we agreed um, mid-november and then started all the planning so i did everything scheduled i knew exactly when we're taking off when we're landing when we're having dinner when when we're having a beer when <laughs> where we're having lunch and what where we're going to be at this time period and um Fortunately, it all worked out, but it was a lot of prep work, and that was the most yeah. challenging one. Uh, what sounds like this may be the same answer. My follow-up question is going to be, uh, what's been your most rewarding mission? That one was rewarding, but I can't say that I enjoyed that the most because it was probably the hardest one I've had to do. But the rewarding ones are the ones that happen spontaneously, where they just say, Jump in the back seat. We're going. <laughs> Last July 4th, uh, 2020, um, they wanted to do a, a six ship around Lake Tahoe in a DC-3. And they called me up and said, would you be interested in flying in a DC-3 and taking some pictures? <laughs> I probably didn't have to think say. too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that one probably was the most uh, rewarding, spine-tingling um, memorable flights I've done in recent time. Yeah. And, and in that, in that case, the, the D, the D day squadron, they, I mean, they had international press as, as they were 
going over there for the celebration and came back. So, and I think this was just prior to, or I think it was uh, after. I think it was after because I think they did the they went back to Normandy in 2019. I yeah. Um, but yeah, I, those same aircraft were the ones that were the ones over here on the west coast of, of uh, the U.S. in California and flying over Lake Tahoe and anything is spectacular. Yeah. Yet alone a uh, a flock of DC threes going around at low <laughs> altitude. Now that was uh, we uh, we always finish our interviews with one question, which is kind of a surprise question. I didn't tell you about, but nope, uh, nope. but before then, I do I I, I want to give you the chance because there's there's a uh, tell us about your website, any social media that you have, um, how do people get a hold of you if they want to take on something like this, or maybe even just buy some of these pictures, which are awesome. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is my name. Sake there, uh, my name Mark E. Loper. And if you get that E in the middle, that gets me. There, it's surprisingly, there's a couple of other Mark Loper photographers here in the U.S., and we all get our each other's mail and uh, email and stuff. Um, so uh, usually, if somebody sends something to me and they don't have the E in the middle, um, they, they'll get to one of the other friends, which I've come to befriend because we all get each other's mail so markyloper.com um there are that's the main website that has all my stuff uh i have a lot of scenics um uh, a lot of scenic images in fact um a couple of years ago i sold um a bunch of images to a hotel uh, so i do a lot of events i do a lot of air shows and you wouldn't know this about me but i do brew fests too so i'm kind of a craft beer snob <laughs> and I try to do all the beer fest around. Man, you feel, fit right in with us. <laughs> so, uh, and then I have the aviation side. So I have the events, I have the aviation, I have the scenics, and I do a bunch of corporate stuff. And uh, just aviation alone, I do corporate shoots for uh, aircraft sales. So if they're selling an airplane, or um, I do uh, night shots, um, if they want something kind of spectacular to put on their wall. So <laughs> here is our final question that I didn't tell you about. Okay. If, right. if you are an aviator, right? So you can either choose to fly it or shoot from it in your case. If money was no object and you had any airplane in the world that you could either fly or shoot from, what airplane would that be? Wow. I've, I've been in a lot of aircraft. Um, I think some of my my dreams are the military, um, maybe like a Hornet or an F-16. Um, I really do. I've, I've had dreams of flying with the Blue Angels or flying with the Thunderbirds um, as a backseater. Really incredible. And, and we just saw them this, uh, this last week, and they do have that two-place... Uh... Thunderbird, that F sixteen. Yeah. So maybe they we could put you in for uh, put you in for a hometown hero yeah, type thing well, you know or There are so many more people that are more deserving <laughs> than me, but I don't expect it to happen. Um, maybe I'll do something between now and the time I die that'll yeah. have some impact on everyone else uh, that gets me a backseater. But um, um, I, I, you know, anytime I'm just in the air, I'm happy. Yeah. I don't care awesome. if it's a, a J3 or if it's um, a Thunderbird. I don't care. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. I don't, I don't. I have a few favorite aircraft, but really, as long as I'm in the air, I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Correct. 
Hey, Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk with us and, uh, and we'll make sure that we put your website and your social media in the show notes. And I know for sure I'll see you now in 2022, uh, at the air races, unless I see you out, uh, out West before then. Thanks again for taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Amanda. I mean, how, that was what an epic. <laughs> that was just, I love that. That, that oh, it's just, I, I, I think a lot, there's a lot of people who will absolutely agree with uh, with uh, Armando uh, with that. It's just like, as, as long as I'm the air, I don't care what aircraft it is. I'm surprised yeah. that hasn't been our answer more when when no, that, that question's that's true, been asked. Isn't it? Yes, yeah. but what an, what an interesting job to do as well. Um, as a oh. photographer, uh, absolutely phenomenal stuff. So, yeah. uh, so uh, I'm I mean, quite uh, quite glad thinking about it. We we played out in one hit actually because yeah. it was a really really compelling, absolutely great uh, photos as well. Set. Great yeah. great photos. Now yeah. now obviously never mind the, what what aircraft is best for you to do stuff. Uh, or I mean from a from a, 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 a an AV point of view, and I mean obviously audio visual point of view. What aircraft do you reckon would be best for using to take photographs and? And videos and stuff. I Ooh. guess it depends on what you're air, what you're filming, isn't it? As to how fast it's moving and stuff. But <clears throat> you know, like if you were at an air show, what aircraft would be best? Oh, do you know, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that's a, a very interesting question, which I've, I have no immediate no. answer for. But um, of course, the nice thing about all aircraft, or most aircraft at least, is that they've almost got this. It, it, they are perfect for the 16 by 9 ratio true like the automotive (laughs) sector in terms of how they look yeah um and they look so much better than on a four by three agreed so i don't know the answer to that but i'm sure uh, our photography chums absolutely chat room and uh others will will uh advise me we'll say yeah as as captain cruz is saying as long as i'm in the air it's uh as he's saying as long as i'm in the air it's like the color of your car being totally irrelevant because you can't see it when you're in it very good point uh that's not true in nev's case because there it's you know Uh, there's a lot of yellow you can see some orange bits (laughs) indeed anyway Anyway, should we crack on with the next yes absolutely we've got one more bit to share with you we have, and this is part three of Nick Codling's interview with Wasabi test pilot Elliot Seguin. Now, after the last part, we left the conversation discussing the benefits of electric power plants versus conventional combustion engines. Uh, here, Elliot talks about the fantastic simplicity of electric aircraft. first electric plane that Justin actually flew it together um, like 15 years ago now. First one that we ever flew. That was what uh, blew me away about it in general was just how much simpler it is to operate, right? It reminds me of the, the old joke when the jets came out that all the jet pilots were walking around saying, oh, it's, it's real complicated. You probably won't be able to figure it out. But fundamentally, it was like way simpler because like you didn't have to turn the supercharger on and off and change it from, uh, you know, de-rich to full rich or yeah. pro- propeller setting or throttle setting and don't overboost it and blah, blah, blah. You just say, uh, more. Uh, less. <laughs> less. <laughs> and that's the way the electric yeah. is, right? Uh, when Justin and I started out, we were flying, uh, first electric planes that we were flying were um, powered by RC car batteries. 
And as a result, wow. uh, understanding your energy state was always an issue. So yeah. uh, not to go into too much detail, but fundamentally you would set power and then check voltage. So if you didn't know what power setting you were at, you didn't know what how much battery you had left, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Now we can count the you know, joules in versus joules out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know how much juice is left in the tank at all times, yeah. uh, which is uh, dramatically different. So instead of having, you know, you resip in the back, right, I got to like, you know, prime it just right and make sure the mixture's in just the right spot and cha 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 and then get the mixture in and blah, 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 and you got the throttle and you got the mixture and you got the propeller lever and you got oil pressure and you got to watch about, uh, you know, uh, magnetos and all the stuff that goes into running a resip, right? Especially once you get to the big power set because it's a 550, it's a reasonably sized motor. And then the front, I just got like a little black lever. I go, more, <laughs> That still blows my mind. I mean, as I said to you, I'm, I'm kind of beginning my student pilot journey and one of the things I've been reading about is, you know, setting the setting the mixture yeah and you know I, I drive a car with fuel injection i ride a motorbike that's got fuel injection you know and you, you haven't adjusted a carburetor in a few days it's been a little while i've actually yeah i mean <laughs> i've got an old bike in the garage actually that runs on what do you cars, have? but it's an old uh, ducati monster really what year uh 96 that's nice cool it makes a good sound yeah uh what's the displacement it's a 600 oh okay Right. Um, makes so, a good sound. Yeah, yeah it sounds yes, it great. Does. <laughs> but it's, you know, nowadays the, the the idea of having to deal with setting your mixture, right. making sure you've got warm air going into the carb to make sure you don't get carb icing. You know, that's pretty. Those archaic. are things that for somebody. I mean, I'm used to it because I'm you know I'm used to tinkering with old engines and things like that. But it, I think it's, is it Pipistrel have got a, a, an electric trainer aircraft? Yes. Like for me, that seems like an absolutely natural progression for electric aviation is that it's perfectly well suited to student pilots coming in where, you know, it's, you want to make that, the whole process a lot easier and a lot more straightforward to understand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting. Um, um, I think aerobatics like a six minute air show yep, perfect. Uh, or a 20 minute to 30 minute uh, flight lesson are mm-hmm. also just like we were talking about short haul yep. Uh, yep. airliners are also sort of entry spots uh, for, for electric aviation to come in. But just like this Ampere thing, right? It comes back to whether or not um, people either, is it cheaper than gas or is it uh, enough less expensive that you your you know uh, emotional payoff of like saving your grandbabies or whatever makes you get up in the morning <laughs> is enough that you're willing to pay more to fly yeah. electric because yeah. otherwise it doesn't work and I think yeah. that you know there's a lot of fancy stuff with the cell phone in our pocket and the Tesla in our garage but until you get out there and feel what the market's actually doing when the rubber hits the road when people get the money out of their pocket and pay for electric versus paying for gas that's when we'll find out mm-hmm. so whether it's the Pipstrel or the Tesla or the Ampere or whatever we yeah. have to we have to actually test the market and I think the trick is to not have to design a whole new airplane from scratch so that you've invested, you know, whatever, many millions of dollars before you find out if there's any money here. Uh, if you can start with an old Cessna Skymaster and a couple motors out, yeah. or batteries out in a motorcycle, maybe you can figure out if this is real. So that's what the current system is at the moment. It's, uh, is it actually repurposed? Um, Zero motorcycle batteries, yes. So they're literally just 12, a bunch so of 12 my favorite, batteries. My favorite data point on this, and I probably should make sure I say this as loud as possible on the internet so that everybody gets in trouble, but it's not, <laughs> it's not legal to put a uh, zero motorcycle battery in a shipping container and ship it yeah. because that's really dangerous. Uh-huh. However, you can fill a shipping container with zero motorcycles 
Right. Or with airplanes with zero, with zero motorcycle batteries yeah. in them. And fly them across the Atlantic. No, put them in the same shipping container. Right. They have to be in the airplane. Yeah. So uh, hypothetically, we've been traveling around with a zero motorcycle okay. in case we need another battery. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, um, what's the weight of the battery pack? Uh, we'll say hundreds of pounds. Okay. Um, and in terms of the electric propulsion itself, what's, what kind of horsepower is that? We'll say on the order of 100 horsepower. Okay. And how would that compare with the, the standard so that, uh, combustion engine? So that airplane came with 280 horse uh, likes, uh, yeah. brand new. Uh, when we started flying that particular airplane, it had 180 horse in the front, uh, 360 like, and it had a uh, 550 Continental on the back. Uh, the like came out and we stuck with the 550 in the back. Mm. So, um, I mean, do the math. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the big thing here, right, is, um, you know, when you go down to the, uh, uh car dealership, you go down to per- pick up your Ducati, uh, there's a number that says how much horsepower it makes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we all know that if you pinned it and sat it at that horsepower, it's, the motor's going to last a matter of minutes, not, not, <laughs> not thousands of miles, right? right? And so that, that difference between uh, rated horsepower and uh, like sustained continuous horsepower is where the hybrid makes sense, right? So basically what we're doing is we're making the back motor sit at a higher power setting for longer uh, and then supplementing the last bit of power required with electric. And I okay. think that by understanding that, right. you understand uh, the way the system works. Yep. So I guess at this stage, it's, it's not really a kind of a pure... 100% electric at this Oh, point. no, there's not 100% anything. No, yeah. no, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hybrid. And that's the trick, right? I mean, mm. if you want to go 100% electric and you want to go long haul, then it might be your grandbabies that get to yeah. see it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But if you, you, know, if you want to get electric now and figure out if this is something that works, you need to lower your expectations. And yeah. that's what I think they're yeah. doing. Yeah. I, I'm not a spokesman for the company. I don't work for Ampere. I'm just, yeah. uh, just a contractor. So. No, that's great. And it's, it's obviously really interesting for us to to hear your impressions of flying and learn a bit more about it. Such a fascinating interview, isn't it? And, and a phrase that I've not heard since my days of having, of a proudly owning a Mark One Y registration. No, it was a V registration. My first Mark One Fiesta, tickling the carburetor. There's, yes. there's a phrase that I haven't heard in a long time. And that is not a euphemism. <laughs> no, no, genuine, a genuine thing. But I mean, batteries is you know, this, I, I, I love that quirkiness of having to carry the motorbike with the battery because as long as it's on the, on yes. the motor, it's just crazy. But, you know, we're going to see a whole lot more uh, stuff here, aren't we? In yeah, terms of I think the new so. technologies and, and hybrid. Yeah. So, yeah, brilliant. Indeed, brilliant. absolutely. Uh, yes, Ca- Captain Cruiser said 50% crew, 200% content today. Thank yeah. you. That's very kind. That's, that's, yes, that's, that's very, very true. Today. <laughs> that's yeah, pra- yes. Thank you. Yeah. Praise, I think. Anyway, uh, on that bombshell, we are over time. Uh, I don't know how we're over time, Nev. I don't know. I, th- I thought we were going to be a bit under, but with just you and me well, in the chair. Careless chat, that's what it was. <laughs> indeed, yes. absolutely. But uh, let's get wrapped up, shall we? Yeah, well, that's very nice indeed. And thanks very much, indeed, for joining us tonight, everybody. Uh, really appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to uh, contact us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, 
Look for us on social media under Plain Talking UK. If you want to WhatsApp us, it's plus 44 757 229166. Plus 44 757 229166. Email podcast at plaintalkinguk.com or the website is plaintalkinguk.com. And also you can become a Patreon, details of which are all on our website. I think that's about it for tonight, don't you, Matt? I think so. Say goodbye, Nev. Goodbye, Nev. (laughs) 